You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 354 of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. And tonight, this is where the magic happens, as we are joined by Shane Brady and Emily Zercher. Soon to be Emily Zercher Brady, or just Emily Brady? Either one. We, we'll, we'll find out if we hyphenate or not, but she, yeah, I'm Emily Zercher. Shane, <laughs> um, the Shane Zercher? Shane, yeah, that should be what it is. Shane Zercher. Well, I my uh, my ex stepfather's last name was Schlau, so everyone always joked that if I took his name, my name would be Shane Schlau, like an like an Irish first name, a Jewish last name, but I sound Asian. <laughs> Shane and, Schlau, or or you just sound drunk. Just I'm Shane Schlau. Or just drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Shane Schlau. <laughs> this is a great way to start. Uh, yeah, this we are a great t- way to start. <laughs> Shane and Emily are joining us tonight to talk about breathing happy, which oh my god, I love so much, and we're going to get into that. But before we get into all of the reasons why we loved it, uh, yeah, if the two of you can introduce yourselves in case there's anyone who is listening who did not have a chance to catch breathing happy at Chat Film Fest, um, you know, let, let them know who you are. Give them give them the the back of your baseball cards, as it were. Cool. Yeah, the back the back of my baseball card is I am Emily Zercher, the executive producer of Breathing Happy, and I am Shane Brady. I'm the writer, director, editor of Breathing Happy, and I'm I'm in front of the camera a little bit too. Oh, is, is, is that all? Just a just yeah. a smidge, just yeah. a smidge. <laughs> yeah, you just, you just did all the things on the movie. Just uh, all of the. I didn't want to, but we you know, really COVID. You do what you have to do. Are you sure you didn't want to? I really didn't. I swear to cr- I promise <laughs> he did not want to edit that thing. I didn't. I, he was locked in his room crying most days. <laughs> like I literally crying, imagine. like not metaphorically crying, like literally crying. That's I a, can that's understand a, not a lot of editing. Oh God, yeah, yeah. It's 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 all the editing, <laughs> all the editing. Well, you did a great job with the editing. Uh, that's that's one of the things that we're going to get into. Uh, so, so, yeah, uh, Breathing Happy played at Chat Film Fest, and and I absolutely adored adored it. It had a great reception. It seemed like everyone who watched it adored the film. Uh, in in Discord, I was chatting about it with some friends, and one of the people who saw it before I did was like, uh, you know, it's it's a great movie. Just make sure to have the tissues ready. It's like it's it's fine. It's not going to be that bad. I got to the end of it was like. Yeah, okay. This this is a little emotionally wrecking, but like in such a weird way because it's so so heartbreaking but so uplifting, but the ending is also just ambiguous enough that I didn't know whether or not to cry or be rejoicing. It was like, what the fuck is this movie done to my emotions? And and I loved every single second of it. So, kudos for making just a, a just a fucking great movie. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you, man. To be, I mean, to be honest, I mean, like, I could get emotional in two seconds flat. 
we we worked so hard to ensure that the the whole story and when i say we i say everybody like the amount of conversations that happened between myself and emily chris dudley who did the score matt reisinger who did the sound evan zisimopoulos who was our director of photography jamie parslow who was our other exec producer and david lawson i was lucky enough in that as i was editing this we would i would kind of like handcuff myself to the computer for x amount of weeks and then step away for a week and send them scenes or clips or cuts of the movie depending on where we were in the process and so everyone's fingerprints are all over it there's there's scenes i could send you guys like um where i would spend two days cutting things and the reception amongst you know our our group would be like it's almost there but not quite because we wanted to tell a very true story but i'm actually happy that you used the word ambiguous because i feel like the quickest path to losing your mind when trying to deal with people who are suffering from addiction is to try to apply logic right to what you know to what they're going through so going into this i wanted to really focus on telling a non-linear mostly non-literal interpretation of what recovery rebirth or relapse would look like right and um once we get into this a little bit i do want to talk about the ending but i want to make sure that we save spoilers for the end because anyone sure. who's not had a chance to see it i want to get as much conversation around just the overall style of the film why it was so emotional how well it worked i want to get all of that stuff in first and then maybe ask a few questions about the ending, uh, giving people plenty of time to uh, to leave before having it spoiled. Um, For sure, but but you know, with with talking about it being such a uh, such a personal story, and you know, not necessarily not necessarily a literal story, but more of evoking the feel of it. You know, I, I used to do substance mm-hmm. abuse counseling. And so everything that I was saying, it's like, this is how it felt for the people going through addiction. This is how it felt. It, it didn't, the thing that I loved so much about this movie is it did not feel like it was being weird for the sake of weird. It felt like all of the transitions, all of the flashbacks and jumps forward, all of the stuff that was, you know, taking place in, in your mind, all of these very absurd things none of it felt like you were just like hey you know it would be funny like it all felt like this is everything that someone who is going through addiction and recovery feels and that is why the movie for me at least felt so wonderful and and just uh, brought out all of these emotions at the same time is because it wasn't a simple here's a bad time of their life where you are supposed to feel sad and here's a good point of their life where you are supposed to feel happy it's all of this is happening at the same time and the world fucking sucks, but there's still reason to be happy. But the reason to be happy is also part of why the world sucks. But that's also why you need to still like all of that stuff happening at the same time. <laughs> the tone of this film was was perfect with all of that, though, because I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know you or your background. Uh, is this a personal story? Like, do do you or someone that, you know, uh, did they go through addiction and recovery or is this something that was more of a, we want to tell a general story about life and telling it through the lens of addiction just made the most sense, man. The unfair answer is both are kind of true. Um, 
sadly, <clears throat> my so I personally have never had um, addiction with drugs or alcohol. Um, I have anxiety. I my, my addiction is I don't know how to make my brain be quiet. Sure. Um, so like whenever people talk about the editing being like very frenetic and very whatever, like that's my brain. I mean, I could turn yeah, to that's anxiousness. It's it's my <laughs> on on film. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that is one part of it that I I wanted to kind of capture was like, man, what would it be like if I like if my anxiety was fueled through that but um there's there's a wealth of people friends extended family um one of my best friends alex uh his older brother vasily when i was 18 passed away from overdosing um i could name two other people that i know who've passed away from overdosing um uh i would say it's personal because it's it is people in the family that a lot of the scenes were taken from actual experiences Mm -hmm. and Shane has uh, experience with addiction and dealing with the hardships of it. And I have the experience of dealing with addiction because my dad was an addictions counselor. And so he, um, that was what he specialized in. So I grew up going to people's houses that were heroin addicts and all these people and seeing this in real life and how it affects people and seeing, um, the monster that addiction truly is and that it's not people's faults. So when I first met Shane, it was like addicts are fucking assholes. Like, fuck these people. They're fucking (laughs) selfish. And I'm like, okay, but just because you don't have that chemical in your brain that Mm -hmm. creates an addiction response to drugs and alcohol doesn't mean the people that you know that are addicts Mm. don't have that. So that's how I learned about addiction growing up. And so I have a lot of empathy towards addiction. Um, I think I think, Shane... that's a, yeah, I think that's an <laughs> awesome word. I think empathy is an awesome word because they're so in, in, in its simplest form there. I won't tell you which scene, but there is a scene from the movie that is almost literal word for word. What happened on a Christmas Eve? Like, like, like a chunk of this movie was I experienced on the receiving end, trying to deal with somebody who was going through the throes of addiction on Christmas Eve and they took something and they shouldn't have taken it. And I remember trying to go to sleep and I couldn't. And I opened up final draft and I was like, this is fucking insane that I'm like this. This was my Christmas Eve. And I just right. typed it up mm-hmm. and I sat with it for over a decade, potentially. I mean, I, I'm probably make, messing up that timeline, but um, I, I had a, a therapy session years and years ago where the therapist was like, just, just, you know, the, the point of therapy is to, uh, make observations and pose questions. So the observation that this, this therapist made was, have you ever considered empathy? Like, have you ever considered how tough it would be for this person to try to get over it? Have you ever considered why they are the way they are? And, and I hadn't really considered it like sure in passing you talk about it but but if i made this movie five six seven years ago it would only be angry right and it would be what you were talking about nathan it would be feel anger when you're supposed to feel anger (laughs) and i'll show the tropes of what happiness could look like and so i have i have i had this like secret list that i wrote to myself and there was like a dozen bullet points 
Um, you know, some of them were tell a non-literal story. Some of them were tell a non-linear story, but the other one was like, you can't have the movie be mad. You can't have the movie be angry. You have to explore all aspects of it. Well, and that's why where the characters come into play, Brianna basically plays your you in yeah. the movie she's only mad she's only played by britney escalante mm. the hispanic girl okay. um and so brianna's only mad she's only like what the fuck is wrong with you like, yeah why can't you do this and i've never d- touched anything yep june who plays the mother only has empathy and love she sees the little boy you know in there um augie is kind of like the peer you know, Augie plays Lily, the redhead. So I, I, I wanted to, you know, shape it so that you could hear all these different perspectives, different perspectives. And the wonderful thing was while while filming, you know, we we more or less stayed close to script. But I mean, weeks, weeks before we filmed, Brittany lost somebody. Uh, uh, Brittany. Yeah. So Brittany had lost somebody due to a whole situation that happened. Um, um, Augie, Augie lost her brother like a year beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that when I cast them. But that's but that's like the thing about this movie is, you know, uh, excuse me as I like I'm on this perch. I don't mean to be, but it's like <laughs> I, I made this little movie about addiction and I'm finding even just through Chattanooga that so many people are like, man, I experienced very similar things yep. either from the tunnel or from the outside looking in, you know, I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. <laughs> That's why you're here. We, we, we are giving our observations of why we love the movie and then asking the questions to get yeah. all of these answers. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. The, that, that's so fascinating to hear that you weren't the one who has the history of going through this because for one, you play it so amazingly like it is played exactly the way that the, the that people I've counseled in the past it, it is played almost exactly the way that they describe their experiences and and again kind of balancing that tone one of the things that, that hit me so hard and why I love this movie so goddamn much is because none of the characters feel like tropes none of the characters feel like um, like, well, this is, you know, the one who, uh, who's never done drugs. And so obviously this is the best character of the movie. It's like, no, she, she was the one who was one of the most harsh. Like I, I did not hate anyone in the movie, no matter what they did. It was like, I understand where they're coming from, why they're saying what they're saying, how, what they're saying makes sense in their world, how, what they're saying can be interpreted or misinterpreted. And again, it was just written so beautifully that every single person felt so genuine and so real that it, it felt the, even though you were trying to tell a nonlinear and very, you know, sort of abstract, um, you know, at, at times absurd movie, it felt so true and uh yes now i am talking too much <laughs> well well obviously the main thing you're talking about with truism is clearly the golden door that's the yes. most literal interpretation of of drugs is is a is a golden door showing it's up and door. it's well, just really, a door really mm. that's just you know aaron himself is uh a, a golden door so <laughs> yeah yeah the, my favorite comment from chattanooga that you showed me was best oh, casting of a door ever oh yeah best audiences best casting of a door ever so whoever commented that just please know yeah. i rolled yeah. on the floor laughing <laughs> and then, like, and then so, someone else is like more like aaron doorhead <laughs> like, <laughs> we were just like God, we need to make shirts. <laughs> right? 
Oh, Next time you should make an Aaron Doorhead shirt. Next time you talk to him, say, you know what? The movie, it, it, it had a pretty good reception, but I don't know. Your performance was just a little too wooden. I was going <laughs> to say you fell flat. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's good shit. Oh, man. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that a spoiler? I, without context, people are just like, really "What on no earth are you talking about?" Yeah, right? yeah. I don't Someone know. Plays the door. Everyone's going to be really concerned is, if the door lives or dies. It is very true. Yeah, it, like I, I'm kind of curious to know, like, how do you even go about? pitching a movie like this like if you were like coming up to someone on the street and trying to like convince them to come see this in the theater or something like how do you say like hey come check out my movie it's yeah go ahead (laughs) okay so since you guys know david lawson Mm. i I feel like okay if people on this podcast do not know david lawson just a little context um he's he's truly just one of my best friends first and foremost um I was lucky enough that I've been best friends with Moorhead since we were like 14, 15 years old. I don't know if people know that, but like we went to high school together. We were roommates in college, uh, the whole nine yards. And so I've known Lawson since I was like 23, 24 years old. And um, I periodically over the course of, you know, the last decade plus, we, we send each other scripts back and forth all the time. Like, hey, do you mind reading this? Take a look at this pitch, whatever. Um, he's helped me with a bunch of other stuff before. And I had, uh, well, we both ruined Christmas 2020 uh, by getting COVID five days before Christmas. Um, Mm. The big joke was that we finally ruined Christmas. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) so I was in my brother's guest room where it was a, it was a twin sized bed. Um, I'm, I'm fine with it because I grew up in Florida, but there were tanks that were had uh, tarantulas and snakes. So I would just like play with these tarantulas and snakes, very Florida. Right. Um, and so I just kind of like dusted off this script, knowing that I was going to make it in the coming months. I was like, come hell or high water, I'm going to make it. And I sent it to Lawson and I was like, can you just give me my, you know, your two cents on what this is? And he usually writes back a lengthy email of page 17, maybe do this, page 34, maybe do this, you know. And uh, I'm not trying to quote him, but he said something to the effect of he called me. And I was like, oh, he's calling me instead of emailing me. And so he calls and I go, that bad, huh? He goes, if you don't stop everything you're doing and make this movie, you're a fucking idiot. And he hung up. (laughs) And that was it. So my pitch, because I knew I wanted Lawson to help it some way. My pitch was just sending in the script saying, do you want to read it? And he was like, yeah, sure. And and he loved it. So what it what it came down to is Lawson was too handcuffed with a bunch of other stuff. So that's where Jamie Parslow came in. really talented guy again one of my other buddies from florida he works at ign and you know i needed somebody who could make this their baby as well and lawson was too busy and lawson was like i can godfather this i can't baby it but jamie could um so between myself and jamie and emily where you know i was forced into it she was forced into it (laughs) but i don't i I don't know how i would pitch it i i mean i guess like our our like log line is like a uh, mind-bending drama about like in this mind-bending story of addiction uh a recovering addict can (laughs) can have a uh can celebrate one year of sobriety but his past demons tempt them to fail yeah it almost like when going into it i was almost expecting kind of like a uh um a christmas carol kind of thing which it it has a little bit of of yeah, that yeah a, a little bit extent. um 
Yeah, you have, you, have, with- you have the Christmas presents of the two baggies, the green or the red. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You've got the Christmas past of, you know, the past and Christmas future of the doors. So, by the way, can we can we talk about Hugh Scott for two seconds? The guy who plays the druggie. The the please, please, please. Can we please talk about him? So he's he's OK. I'm going to tell a story. I shouldn't. I'm going to like oh, those are my favorite. No, you, don't, you don't know what this story is. Emily's looking at me like, what is this story? I moved to Los Angeles. I crashed uh, I on. OK, so I crashed on Aaron Moorhead's couch for like three months before I found my place, you know, because he's that good of a person. And I think it was literally the first evening in Los Angeles. Moorhead goes, you got to meet my buddy, Hugh. So I go over and and Huey Scott, you know, this this is not a voice that he does. This is literally the manner in which Hugh Scott speaks. Right. <laughs> he's a very celebrated voiceover actor. Mm-hmm. He's, he's done a lot. And and he kind of talks to you in this very paternal, loving, but condescending way, which was perfect for the <laughs> right. role. Right. Um, and, we're, and we're actor Daddy buddies. Huey. Yeah. Daddy Huey. And we always help each other out. So um, he goes, hey, you know, welcome to L.A. How much money do you have? What are your plans? What are you <laughs> doing? He's, do you no, have? he did. He asked me how much money. He said, <laughs> I got to make sure you budget. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And uh, and he goes. All right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to grab uh, a four loco out of the fridge and I'm going to line up three shots of whiskey and you're going to do all three and pound that four loco. <laughs> he said it as a joke <laughs> and I did it because I was just like, all right, I guess I guess we're going out tonight and this is just like a fun whatever pregame. And, you know, it was it was very tame. We like went out for the night, but it was like months later that he went, you know, I liked you when I put a four loco that I had like hidden in the back of my (laughs) fridge as a joke and you didn't skip a beat and you were just like, all right, I'll drink a four loco. I didn't even know what the hell it was. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's that's my quick little story of how I've become buddies with you, Scott, and how I, I will say when I was writing that role, I was for sure writing it in Hugh's voice. Well, I mean, he yeah. was already auditioning for the dealer before he even knew it. Yeah, right? Yeah, How much exactly. money do you have? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Loco, exactly. Come over. All the- 100%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, I God, I love that. Um, I, I'm glad that we're talking about Hugh a little bit and the dealer because one of the themes that I really enjoy about this movie, and again, like part of what makes this movie feel so genuine is the role that choice plays in this movie. And and it's something that is highlighted throughout, you know, with the red versus the green bag, with the, the two different doors, um, you know, with making the choices of whether or not to show up at Christmas high. Uh, and, and then, of course, like some of the magic tricks that uh, that are put in there with, you know, it's it's all an illusion. How did some of that shape uh, shape the way that you were trying to tell the story? And, and I'm going to get to the magic in just a minute, but very specifically when looking at choice and whether or not people are you know fated to be addicts and whether or not they actually do have a choice or you know how did some of that role of choice because again it's such a heavy theme throughout the entire movie and it's part of what i love about it how did that shape uh, the story that you were trying to tell it's it's such a tough one so i think the cleanest answer is so one of the lines that um Brittany Escalante has that Brianna has in the movie is when she's talking to her mom towards the end and she goes, can you stop calling it a disease? He doesn't have a disease. Cystic fibrosis is a disease. Mm-hmm. Cancer, Alzheimer's, people sick 24 seven lungs fucking failing them. They have diseases. 
Dylan is an addict, right? That was, that was an argument I think I had with my, someone in my family or cousins or something. Um, And it's such a difficult thing to navigate. And it is such a slippery slope because I know like in therapy sessions and talking to doctors, they will go, well, it is a disease. And these are the reasons why, and I'm a doctor and you're not. And and (laughs) you you, you know what I mean? Like truly. Um, And everyone listens because everyone listens to experts when it comes to these types of things. Exactly. Which is why we're not two years into a global pandemic. Uh, (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Everything's fine. Correct. World's not on fire. We didn't ruin Christmas. Yeah. That's why we didn't ruin Christmas. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So it's, it's this thing of, it's, it's a little bit of both, you know, like we, like, why aren't we all the rock? The rock wakes up in the morning and he makes the choice of, I'm going to lift a bunch of heavy weights. I'm going to eat the right food. I'm going to X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Like we wake up every morning and we have choices and there's mm. rewards and consequences for all of those choices. And in talking to people who have recovered, you know, to, to create the world's greatest oversimplification, they're like, you know, when dare says, just say no in a weird way, they're, they're kind of right, but you have to like go to Mordor first, you know, you have to like, you have to have all of the 17,000 pages of Tolkien to then go, Oh, just don't put the ring on. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. It's it's going to be super tempting and everyone on the planet also wants just, you just don't put the ring on and you're fine. Yeah, exactly. So, so in, in looking at choice, I wanted with almost every theme, I really wanted to try to ride that seesaw balance of, of hopefully throughout the movie, you hear Brianna say that and parts of your brain go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree with that. And then right after that, the mom goes, I don't understand how you can say things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And then there's a part of you that's like, yeah, actually that is, that is like a cruel oversimplification of it all. Mm-hmm. You have a, there's a scene in the movie that I think is such a perfect, like, uh, encapsulation of this which is the when you have the little chant i don't know what you call it the little thing with all the like uh different colors on it yeah it's 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 called like a swizzle stick or a rainbow stick or something it's yes like, yeah and you and there's a scene where you kind of explain the trick and it's like no matter what you do i'm always going to get you to pay green mm-hmm. and it's the illusion of mm-hmm. of control yeah um and that's such a like the way that you do that is so brilliant especially because of the the response to it like uh there's there's an incredible line in the movie it's probably my favorite thing where it's like well, this is why there are no women magicians because we figure shit out too quickly <laughs> <It's> so, <laughs> yep yep but but i love that scene in the movie because it, it i feel like is a perfect distillation of of kind of like this this theme that we're talking about with control where it's like yeah you think that you have control over what's going on but really in the background there are all these other forces that are leading you to a particular moment mm-hmm. uh to a particular decision um and with addiction it is such a difficult thing like, i mean as someone who's had loved ones who, who go through it it's so hard to not just be so angry at someone yep. going through this because they can just you know they they become different people like it's totally like altering who they are and a lot of times they get into this because they were they're in chronic pain or all this other stuff, but like, it, it's, it's so hard to have empathy for them sometimes, but, um, and, and it's so difficult too, because it's like, well, you want to help them, but even like from that side of things, like when you're wanting to help a family member going through addiction, it's like, what control do you have in those situations? You know, like it feels like there's nothing you can do to help them get better at times. Um, so I think it works on both sides of that coin. 
for sure. Because, you know, and it's, it's something that every addict hears, you know, is if you baby them, you bury them because they'll know, mm. you know, I'll, I'll speak in generalities, but if one person is willing to shelter you and toss you some money for a burger and here's, here's a warm place to stay and stuff like that, that's the person that an addict steals from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If, if person Y is like, no, you can't stay in my house. I have children then that person doesn't get robbed from because yeah. there's, there's that the healthy boundaries. Love. There's that tough love. I mean, you can with, with your father, I mean, you learned about all that stuff. Well, yeah, I learned that first of all, you can't force an addict to go to rehab, right? You cannot, they have to make the choice. They have to, right. Yeah. So it's not like going to jail and, Oh, okay. Now they're clean. And people think it's a simple thing of like, just go to rehab. Like, that's not what happens. It's not, you mm. have to sign yourself into rehab. You have to do the work. You have to do all the things and you have to want that, but you're constantly dealing with your other demons pulling you away and saying, no, you're not, I don't have you at rock bottom yet. Come with me. Mm-hmm. And not until you hit the rock bottom, do people typically make that choice. And, and then, so it and then is my, that yeah. shitty thing of the downward spiral rock bottom. And then you go, shit, what am I doing? I have to make that choice. Otherwise yeah. I'm dead. But then and some t- people hit rock bottom and then there's a trap door. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. They, it, yeah, yeah, and then they go say. in there and then there's a catacomb that they go down. Go and then, the yeah. The yeah. <laughs> I think that's the hardest thing too. There are so many times where like, you know, people and in, in my family, it's like, Oh, surely they've hit rock bottom. Now, surely this is it. This nope. is the thing that's going to change it. And then it could be, it could be years before there's any kind of progress. Well, exactly. and and the um, thing with that is also, <clears throat> God, okay, I'm trying to like keep most of my psychology brain out of this and not go too <laughs> far into. Let's just turn this into a psychology lecture, but it's also what I love talking about. So, yeah. like, that's the other thing uh, is you know when when it comes to addiction, when it comes to the way that people are self medicating and coping. That's the only way they know to cope. That's the only way they know to try to alleviate pain. So if you've hit rock bottom, you are in a ton of pain. And if the mm-hmm. only coping skill that you've known on this entire path sending you to the bottom is drugs, when you hit rock bottom, the only thing you know is, well, I guess take more drugs to deal with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, for very obvious reasons, I can't get into details, but uh, th- this is a general enough story that I don't have to worry about, you know, like any sort of uh, breaking confidentiality stuff. Uh, but when I was doing substance counseling, there was a person who was in a wreck because of being under the influence and their kids died in the wreck because they were driving under the influence. It was one of the most heartbreaking stories ever. Like all the people that I've dealt with, that one was the one that was probably the most heartbreaking. And when this person would come to group, I, I could understand why other people were just like, ah, yeah, I know I need to quit, but mm, drugs are right there. But when this person talked about the struggle that they were going through, it's like, yep, that makes a thousand percent sense. Like, what are you supposed to do? But anytime that they would use, it instantly took them right back to the moment when it happened and just all of that yeah. guilt. And so the only way they could cope with it. And so, you know, like when, when you talk about things like tough love, it's very easy it's very easy to understand that from a like, oh yeah, of course, just stop babying them, you know, mm-hmm. give them the push that they need, and obviously they'll start getting better. But then there's always that fear of the family of 
but what if me pushing them away is what pushes mm-hmm. them over the edge? Right. And and like and that's, all that's of, always the, the yeah, hardest part. Yeah, it's the fear of if I don't let them stay here tonight, what if they, you know, shoot up heroin <laughs> and get hit by a car? And that's exactly. and that's where manipulation comes in because yep. yeah. Because they know and they'll use that as a weapon. Like, oh, you want me to die? They will absolutely, mm-hmm. yes, they will absolutely use that as a weapon. They'll go, that's okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll go. And you have to remember also the whole empathy thing is these people, they're not themselves when they're in that space. And right. So the mom, June, Car- by, played by June Carroll so beautifully, she she only sees the good in Dylan. And so whenever he does something bad, she just only wants to empathize, only wants to like shower him with love, only do everything like that. So, and it's hard to be like, yeah, how do you not do that? Right. How do you not just like wrap your arms around somebody? Cause you know, it's pain doing this to them and nothing, but they, the manipulation. Okay. The other, so so here, here is an unfair, impossible question, but we're talking about psychology. Sure. <laughs> you, right. You both have children under the age of like five. Uh, I do. Eric does not. His are a yeah. bit older. I, I once had children at the age of five. My kids are nine and eleven. Okay. So I, I think the metaphor will still sure. be very fair. You know, what would you guys do staring at your children as a 32-year-old who has just been using product X for the last decade? What method do you apply to try to get them to stop? And there's not an easy answer to that because yeah. because there's no easy answer. And yeah. I, man, yeah, I even thinking about my kids at almost four and almost two, honestly, that's something that I've thought about because, you know, much like much like everyone, there are people in my life who have battled addiction. There are people who have lost their battle with addiction. Mm-hmm. There are people, even if they don't have addiction, they have some other mental health issue. So, like, you know, I, I've seen all of that very clearly, not just professionally, but also personally. And so looking at my kids, when they do things like, you know, my almost four-year-old, he's almost four. I like to call him a little three-nature. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. like, when he's not yeah, listening, it's just like, dude, why what what are you doing he's like well i didn't want to do what you told me it's like but oh my god i'm the adult i know better he's like yeah i didn't want to and it's just like i can't get mad very at matter him. of oh, fact like very matter of fact but like the the emotion of oh i don't know when he takes all of his clothes off and pees in his bed because he was going to the pretend potty not joking. <laughs> Listen, we've all been there. <laughs> we've all been there, right? But it's, but it's so, so like, infuriating, but it's hilarious. But like when he's when he's doing that, I get you know. Obviously, you get frustrated. But it's just like, how is being mad at my kid going to help anything? So trying to bring it back down to uh-huh. it doesn't matter how terrible of a thing he does. And he's a great kid. You know, I, I don't mean don't yeah. mean to make it sound like he's you know some little shithead. But he's he's great. I love him. I adore him. Compared to Sounds most kids. Funny. Yeah, he sounds like he goes to your to uh, to his his sibling or someone in the house. He goes, "Hey, I'm about to piss my bed, and Dad's gonna have to deal with it. Problem? Check this out. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna like, I'm gonna take all my clothes off. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the dog on top of it. I'm gonna, what? How'd that happen? Exactly. No, he's he's adorable, and I and I love him. But you know, (laughs) kids are kids, and humans have emotions. So like, if I get frustrated, you know, like, all right. I have two choices. I can yell at him and fuck up 
or I can calm myself and try to help him understand his in his three-year-old brain. His three-year-old brain's not going to understand logic, but it will understand daddy just yelled at me. Yeah. And, and yeah. for a you know, 20, 30, 50, however old, someone who is an addict, someone who, not, not just an addict, someone who is dealing with anything that is affecting the way that they uh, make decisions, it's kind of the same thing. If they're having trouble making like the right decision, logic's only going to go so far. And if it doesn't, if their brain was working the most logically already, maybe they wouldn't need someone to tell them something logical. So telling them a logical, this is why drugs are bad, it's going to bounce off of them. But mm-hmm. yelling at them, it's absolutely going to be, oh, so you don't love me anymore. See, this is why I use. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's fucking hard. And my kids, again, they're not even four yet. And it is definitely, definitely something that I already think about. Eric, what about you? How would you handle the situation? Oh, dear God. I don't know, man. I, um, here's the thing that I feel like nobody ever tells you before you become a parent. It's that when you're a parent, 90% of your time, especially when you're away from your children is spent thinking about all of the horrible things that could happen to your children. Yep. <laughs> like speaking of anxiety, you were talking about yeah, earlier, Shane. I'm sure. Like, I'm sure. I, I feel like, uh, I, we, I've talked about this with some of my coworkers and stuff too. We, talk, we call them intrusive thoughts where it's like you could just be sitting there minding your own business and all of a sudden you have a horrible image of like an awful accident happening to your child. And especially if you pay any attention to the news at all, it's like you're constantly thinking about yep. these types of things. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't, I well, truly don't f- even. Four years ago when Eric joined the <clears throat> podcast, uh, the, the first month that he was, you know, like full on part of the podcast, we were doing our Halloween coverage. And that year we decided to go with personal fears. I was a brand new parent, so my week of personal fears was, what if I make one small decision and fuck up? So the movies that we were covering were uh, Joshua, and we need to talk about Kevin. And oh my god, I love that movie. It's, <laughs> it is so good, and it is, it, it's a tough one. And That's like a very Cargo tough one. And, very and A Quiet Place, I think. So all of these things uh-huh. are like, what if I make one small decision, and it is the wrong decision? Mm-hmm. Eric's fear. Eric, what was your fear? And uh, then follow it up with what did I keep calling that that week? Yeah, you. Call, it was like fear of a dead kid or like Eric's <laughs> dead kid week or something like that. Yeah, because I that was my fear was like all about um, it, we, we were watching movies where children died in them, um, which was great. Uh, and also it was right. a kind of thing where it was like, oh, this is going to be kind of tough. This is like a taboo thing. You know, movies don't really depict this all the time. We realized that like there's so many fucking movies out there where kids die. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, but we talked about stuff like Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. Cujo. Um, what? Cujo. Cujo, which technically a kid doesn't die in the movie, we learned. Well, it was like a. Like, in the book. But, like child but, yeah, in peril yeah. type of thing. It's, it's, a, it's a very small child in constant peril, and I'm 99% sure the child in that movie was actually traumatized because, my God, that kid is screaming so much in that movie. It's so good, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was a pretty brutal week. Um, yeah. What was the question again? What would I do with my kids? If they- <laughs> yeah. yeah. We well, well, well so like, path. here's the thing. The nugget of that answer is I, I've been asking people that question every now and then, because everybody's initial answer is, oh man, I have no idea. What would you do? What yep. would you do? Because, you know, kind of coming full circle, the answer is there is no answer. Like, like yeah. people, people getting through uh, addiction is this 
non-logical wormhole amorphous blob that the second you're like oh well well mine was a blue triangle that's how i escaped and someone's like really mine was a mine was a a flame attached to a dog's tail that's how i got it you right know, yeah you can't label it so to to even attempt to label <clears throat> what you what these are the steps you know like once you've decided to join in yeah of course there's steps but like to get to that place there is no logic there is mm. no do this do that right which i think i get to bring it back around to uh what was it uh, breathing happy yeah that's oh yeah that's, that's what we're talking oh, about oh yeah that whole thing uh, that's why i think it's so so brilliant the way that you approach the telling of this story by yeah. making it this very non-literal kind of like a I don't want to say unreliable narrator necessarily, but I mean, there's here's, here's the way that I approach that. Okay. The, the, uh, you know, the, the narrator, uh, you know, point of view, um, Shane being from you and Eric, you and I've talked a little bit about this. It doesn't matter how much of what happened was fact. Everything that we, as the audience saw was what Dylan's character experienced. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if it happened. That's how he felt. And, and that's why, again, actually talking about the movie, that's one of the things that I loved so much about this editing and God bless you for how much editing you had to do. That seems like a nightmare. The way that it would cut back and forth between the past and the present and, you know, a, a dreamscape and questionable reality. And is it real or is it not like the way that it would cut back and forth between all of that? Again, that was not only a great way to get you immersed in this very interesting story, but also for me, at least that is part of how or why it felt so genuine. You know, uh, Shane, like you said, dealing with anxiety or just anyone who deals with depression or, you know, anyone who has, I don't know, humanity, they experience all of these different things at the same time. And so, uh, you know, like you might be driving down the road and you see one thing that then triggers this one memory that that makes you think about this other thing. And like all Mm -hmm. of these things are happening Mm -hmm. at the same time. And especially if that is heightened and distorted through substance, and especially if that's heightened or distorted through the anxiety of trying to resist a substance, the the way that it would cut back and forth, I, I didn't care one bit how much of it really happened. And that's why I that that's why I have a question about the ending and why it's so ambiguous that I'm still holding until we get past some of the more broader discussions. Sure, sure. <laughs> is because none of it mattered how much of it actually happened. Everything that was happening your character experienced and that's what mattered that's why you know it, because it didn't matter if is uh, if his sister was a jerk or not if he perceived her as a jerk that is the way that uh, that then the audience perceived her right yeah so that's that why is why for me didn't matter if it was real or not it was real for you or your character at least yeah well i mean you bring up a good point about that is like what, whatever your perception of reality is um, like th- th- this is a little bit tangential, but we just started watching this show, the after party yeah, on, on Apple TV. Have you guys seen that? Yet? I've heard of this. It, I, I've like, been wanting to watch it. It sounds, it looks really good. Just started it yesterday, but the whole premise of the show is that somebody gets killed and this FBI person interrogates like whatever it is, the 12 people in the room. It's like a Rashomon like kind of thing. Yeah, right? yeah. We're only like two or three episodes in, but when they interview person a, it's like, 
all film noir and everything that happened is black and white. And then person number two, it's like all a musical. And person number three, oh, it's God, just like Jackie so Chan. Everybody great. has different perspectives. Yeah, everybody has different perspectives of what happened. So, so sometimes you would rewatch the same interaction through this person's lens. And it's like, well, this is my interpretation of what happened, but it's it's literally a musical. Yeah, like, I love like, the idea of like filtering that through like different generic conventions or yeah, yeah. Like, that's really cool. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, but, but so kind of piggybacking on that, one of the things that I tried to do, which this was also a team effort, um, with, with Evan as the DP, by the way, I have to say, so Evan's the Simopolis. Fucking psychopath. Fucking psychopath genius. (laughs) Holy shit. Like, like when you hear stories of like Steven Tyler wanted to start Aerosmith, but he didn't have his lead guitarist. And like he met Joe Perry and suddenly Aerosmith made sense. Like mm. I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm, I'm about to shoot something with Evan in a week, a fun little kids short, but everything good visually about this movie is Evan. Like, like I maybe was like, well, what if we put the camera here and what if we position this and we would have our conversations and stuff like that. And every time that I offered up like a plate of McDonald's, he would be like, wouldn't (laughs) filet mignon be a lot better? I'd be like, yeah, we can do that. And he's like, yeah, dude. And I I don't know, man. Have you had a Baconator from Wendy's? That shit's delicious. (laughs) So it can be good. Right. But so like, uh talking about like the the editing and what is real and what is not real evan's visual narrative helped no it didn't help it created okay this is what the real look will be this is what the hazy look will be and this is what the clearly we are in like we we called it like a dream sequence or dylan's brain or he's high like whatever Mm. whatever we wanted to call it right um and then on top of that, you then get to add in Matt Reisinger, the guy who did sound, where like you want to talk about thievery. Like I, I cannot say the rates that everybody worked for. They worked for pennies. Um, it was a lot of calling in favors. You know, they like they liked the project. This you can only call in this favor once yeah. because the amount of post production hours that Matt Reisinger put in is just insulting. And similar <laughs> with with Chris Dudley, the guy who did the score. Like the guy's in under oath. He he literally on tour. <laughs> literally is on tour with Under Oath. Oh, okay. You know, being like, oh, well, okay, so I'm driving from Arizona to San Jose and we're stopping here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna purchase a hotel so that way I have a room to work on the movie before I get back on the bus. And I'm like, please don't tell me that. That makes me feel bad. And he's like, No, I really I really want to do it because I want to make sure that it's great. Oh my god, so, that's awesome. So as much as I truly genuinely am thankful that you guys are applauding the editing, it would, it would be flat out wrong to take ownership of why this works. Right. And you know Mm. what I mean? And why, why this movie works? Um, Because like they're my wallet and keys. I cannot go anywhere without them. (laughs) It's true. It's true. And this one, how, I mean, how many how many evenings did we stay up to like two o'clock in the morning with cardboard making the like, oh, OK, so or, here's the like wrapping paper also, house like, cross country twice. Yeah, we drove from Florida to California and back to Florida and Houston and like twice. Just, like this is it's like 
this is why there's no women magicians. We, <laughs> you know, um, it's also why you need a woman <laughs> to have some kind of lead role because we're so fucking organized. Uh-huh. Like it's like, oh no, where's stick number two? And it's like it's on here. It's labeled this. It's not for them. <laughs> like, yeah. But I mean, it's just you know you kind of have to be. It's a team effort. Like without. Which is such a stupid thing to say. Obviously, everybody knows it's a team. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but like, it's not. You know what like, I mean? Like, I'm, I'm trying. Thing. I'm trying I'm like to articulate. Trying. I really hope that it's coming through. That I'm trying to articulate that this is not like the political. Oh, you tell people that everyone in the movie was so great. Right. Like. Right. Yeah. Like I feel. Give them all the money. Like give them all the <laughs> money. I feel. So like, I feel like I don't deserve the amount of time and energy and everything like effort they put in. Mm. And like, you know, so like John B. Aquino, who plays the father, he's been my mentor in Los Angeles for, for the last decade. And we work a lot with like Disney Nickelodeon and a bunch of wonderful kid actors and hence the wonderful kid, actors hence the, the wonderful kid actors, mm. like freaking Owen Atlas. Like, okay. The fact that Owen Atlas who plays mini me, Evie White, who plays Min- the redhead, who plays mini Augie Duke and mm. Mia Castillo. Like the fact that they are not like literally child stars right now is criminal <laughs> because when like whenever people are talking about like, oh, the the it factor or the X factor, like mm. how do you know a kid has it? Like it's one thing to ask adults like, hey, can you work for 125 a day and show up at like 6 p.m. for this night shoot? And you like literally lose a week of sleep because we're going to be doing like (laughs) random night shoots and stuff like that. And all that, like, and this was SAG and we did, we did follow all the rules, but like, okay, 10 year old who shows up and they're equally amazing, awesome parents. And they like, they knew all of their lines backwards and forwards and they Mm. cried when they needed to, and they celebrated when they needed to. And, and like, it's an indie shoot. They didn't, get their snacks and their trailer and stuff like that. Right. It's like they got their snacks. That is true. They did get a shit ton of snacks. <laughs> Actually, I take it back. Just just like, wait a second. They got so many <laughs> snacks. Like, all the snacks. Like, we didn't feed them. Right. We didn't shit. That's, that's why you didn't have the any. They well, that's why you done. didn't have any snacks, Shane, is yeah. they were taking all the snacks from right. your trailer and funneling it to the kids. Uh, they're, they are. I'm glad you mentioned them too, because they're truly incredible in this movie. Like there, there is a scene where they're all kind of doing, um, uh, they're doing eulogies, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The performances you get out of the, get out of them. They're just truly extraordinary. Um, two, two takes for each kid, by the way. Really? That's yeah. unbelievable. Evan had one camera down the barrel, one sideways, and we it was all preparation. You know, mm-hmm. it was two weeks of us. Um, I, I established a pattern of ready, set, go. So I had the kids and I go, they're setting up the shot. I want you to take your little item and start thinking about how difficult this is going to be. And then they would be ready. I had each kid on either side of the camera. So when they're talking to people, they were talking to each other okay. and, and one kid would go up front and I would just say roll and we would roll for four or five minutes. You know, the, the proverbial check the gate. Right. And then right. let's just do one more for safety. So it was one take and a safety. Great. Rotate the next kid. Wow. And they talked to each other in yeah. between. So that way they kept the momentum going and there was still yeah. not 
didn't feel like, oh, I dragged tears out of that poor kid. Yeah. It was like, no, they, they're actually having a cathartic therapy session around the pool right now. It's kind of <laughs> sweet. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the whole he's not your dad scene. Like, first off, heartbreaking. But secondly, it, it so easily could have been, you know, kid actors being overacting or melodramatic mm. or it could have felt like they were acting that scene. And and no, like it, it felt like these kids knew exactly what that felt like. It, it felt like you took the camera into a broken home and it was like, mm-hmm. hey, are, are you cool if I just like film them fighting for a few minutes? <laughs> cool. Yeah, it was. God, they, they, they were great. That acting throughout was great. I think that they were most excited to do that scene because if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, like I throw the three kids in there and I was like, all right, we we did our rehearsal. Let's go ahead and do a take one. I think I remember telling Owen being like, okay, kick kick the little cardboard house, but don't kick it that hard because we still need to like re <laughs> it out there. And like when Evie, the you know the redhead comes in, I was like, you know, just come in, but don't like shout too much because you know we have the three labs, we only have the one boob. But oh wait, we can't lav Mia because she's gonna grab onto Owen. And so I'm telling Mia like you might need to shout a little bit. And like in the first take, like Owen kicks the shit out of the <laughs> thing, and Mia's like, I'll fucking kill you, and it's like like choking. I was like. They also oh. all have known each other for years, yes. so I think that like, also helps. Yeah. Like the oh, dynamic good, yeah. of yeah, it was they kind of do have that brother sister yeah. bond because yeah. they've kind of grown up in the industry together. Mm. Yeah. So it's like really like they don't they will yeah. rip each other's heads. It was awesome <laughs> yeah. as adults to be like these three kids really hated each other. That was awesome. <laughs> was great. Great. Do it again. This was good job, kids. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful anger. <laughs> I feel like that's something that kids probably just want to do. Like my kids, they want to fight all the time and we're constantly telling them to stop. And it's like, you're actually telling kids like, go at it, hit each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not actually yeah. hit each other, but you know, kick a, yeah. kick a cardboard <laughs> no, house. Like, don't, don't actually choke. You touch the collarbone. Right. You learn how to Here's fall back thing. safely. Cool. We did our safety thing. Go for it. Yeah. That actually sounds great. Maybe I should do this with my kids. Like, all right, guys, we're going to do a movie and you can pretend to fight each other. Maybe that'll be like the catharsis they need. So they're not yeah. trying to one, beat the shit out of each one other. One of them's going to get a bloody nose and you know it, dude. It's dude. It's why I still play hockey twice a week to this day. Like, uh-huh. it's. I think the world would be a better place if everybody could go have their fight club. Like, like sure. there's a reason yeah. why dogs get upset if they're inside all day. Like, mm-hmm. I do. I think that like go get in your fight, go in the penalty box for five minutes. You're done. Well, you got to get the, it out. The problem, much like addiction, is people don't <laughs> yeah. know when to stop. Like but if, that's, if why, people, that's why hockey people great, could get that's it out. That's why hockey's great. Yeah. Well, but if people could get it out and then stop, like then, the purge, like the purge, the purge. You know what? I, <laughs> I always wanted to do. Maybe um, goes a little bit too far. But no, like if if you could get out some of the aggression and be like, okay, cool. Oh, I've got my aggression out. I'm good now. But the problem is, most people they get their aggression out. And it's like that felt good. That felt really good. If that uh, felt good, more aggression is going to feel even better. Can. Can I say I I probably literally get in fist fights twice a year in hockey mm. and it never carries after that moment ever. I, I said I, most people, not all people. <laughs> yeah. 
We're talking. That's, again, that's why we, it's dangerous. It. <laughs> no, what I'm, what you, I want the whole no, world to play hockey. I know. That's the whole point of this podcast. But I can't that... even. <laughs> well, then, I'm screwed. Th- yeah. Then you would just be so cold that after two minutes of fighting, you're like, oh, fuck it. I just want to go sit down. You do street hockey. I used to do street hockey as a yeah, kid. Yeah, do street hockey. Just, yeah, just hang out. My kids were actually, we were at Target today and my kids saw some like street hockey gear and we were like, Dad, can we get this? I was like, I think that might be a good idea, actually. Yes, right? Yes. Right? It's been a while since I played. Um, yeah. I, you know, I've always wanted to do like this is totally off topic, but I have to say, it. I've, I've always, I've always wanted to do one of those rage room things where you can just go and like beat the shit out yes. of a bunch of stuff. Like you can bring oh in glass God. bottles. And stuff. You would do great. With I those. would do so fucking good in a rage. Room. <laughs> <laughs> Emily has a lot of rage this week. I do for reasons we won't again get if, into. If you wanted uh, a hatred podcast, you sure. would let me <laughs> spill for a hot minute. But this is. This is not. The- I've had to stop Emily from turning our home into a rage room like a dozen times this week. I okay, that is not true. <laughs> that's right. That's a calm estimate. Two dozen. <laughs> One of the things that I actually do with my kids is my my youngest son loves Godzilla. Like he's obsessed with Godzilla. He thinks he's the coolest thing ever. Instead so toys. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. My, yeah. Well, oh, he's he's falling over back here. I have my little mm-hmm. my little fat Godzilla <laughs> plush. Um, and Nathan's got his up there. I have another one. Uh, well, there might be. I've got a bunch of Godzillas around me right now. Eric, um, this is not the time to play with toys. Continue your story. I know, I know. But we, one of the things that I do, my wife uh, orders a lot of packages. Um, so we have boxes all the time. So we love to just like play Godzilla and just stack the boxes up as if they're buildings and just like go around and destroy the, the that, boxes. That is uh, awesome. That's that one is of our great parenting. And I'm also yeah. going to use that and run with it this week. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a good way to. When you need to throw a bunch of boxes away, you just set them up in the driveway and have them destroy them. And then you can just toss them right in the trash. It's great. So, Eric, the next step, get a lighter and a can of hairspray and yes. then go full on atomic breath. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. That's what I said. I'm always like, I always want to have a lighter and hairspray in my purse. So if I ever get attacked, it's like the weird weapon. Like, why the fuck does she all of a sudden have a flamethrower? <laughs> <laughs> Like most people have like mace, but nobody messes <laughs> with the flamethrower girl. Yes. <laughs> yes. Flamethrower Would you? Girl. Great idea. <laughs> but yes. So there. So. Rage. Rage. Uh, so bringing it back to the movie. Uh, and I, th- <laughs> I think the last thing that we were talking about a while ago was uh, control and, and uh-huh. the illusion of control. Let's mm-hmm. talk about some of your illusions and, mm-hmm. and the way that magic was brought into it. Because you uh, actually do magic. You actually uh, are, are an illusionist. Um, yep. And I'm just going to start calling you Job for the rest of the episode. That works. So, <laughs> compliment. <laughs> so not only uh, why did you want to bring some of that into the film, I, I assume just because, like, hey, guys, I can do magic. It's going to be fun. But Magic's also... Uh, where was your inspiration for actually tying that in? Because it fit perfectly. It fit great. Again, you know, that theme of the control and the illusion of control. Uh, and, and again, that little like gemstone stick of it doesn't matter what you pick. It's always going to be green. Like where again, where was the inspiration for bringing magic into the film? Well, kind of like what Eric was talking about. Um, I, you know, my, uh, the, the, kids that I teach, I teach acting and they always call me Mr. Metaphor because I've had to learn like, yeah, how do you explain life situations and stuff to six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds, you know? Um, and I found like, yeah, that one magic trick or just the idea of in magic, there's a lot of, um, 
methods is what you call them, like the manner in which you do the trick. Mm-hmm. And so if the trick requires a force, then there's different ways that you can try to force that color or coin or card or whatever onto that person. And I loved the idea of like, yeah, it doesn't matter what the recipient does because I'm the one that's in control the entire time. And, mm-hmm. you know, with, with addiction, talking in full circle, there was all that stuff about control. And I was like, man, I've never seen a movie ever talk about addiction or control or feeling like you're out of control or any of that through the lens of magic. And I was like, oh, that just seems new. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so it but kind obvious. of, but obvious, yeah. right. you know, but, but the other obvious thing is like, no one is going to sit in their room and just shuffle a deck of cards unless it's already something that you kind of do or something that you've done since you were a kid. Right. So I, I used a bunch of different methods from, I'm a, this is going to be a big sentence. I'm a magician member of the Academy of Magical Arts at the world famous Magic Castle in Hollywood, California. That's the sentence you have to say. Wow, we, yeah. we were paid to. We put were paid. Yeah. So, all of the tricks that I did are like an amalgamation of a bunch of different methods. Like, okay, well, I need to make cards change colors and I need to do a deck switch and I need to grab this card and make it disappear and I need to, you know, do all these different manipulations. And I was like, okay what if a reveal was the names of the family on cards? That would be cool. And what if, Mm. you know, the cards could change colors from red to green, which is the obvious, like go and stop. Um, Or Christmas or Christmas. Well, yeah, Christmas (laughs) clearly. Right. Which is the other thing. Um, But I, I want to say the one I'm kind of most proud of is the final trick. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's, that's, it's one of the most famous Harry Houdini tricks. Um, anyone who's into magic or is a magician, Harry Houdini created that trick by, he would take a bunch of razor blades. Spo- spoilers, he, minor spoilers at, at this yeah, point. Yeah, right. Minor, minor spoilers. spoilers. For the, though we're the, not getting the into the emotional climax of the film. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to be cryptic. I'm going to be cryptic yeah, here because, right, right. because it is, yeah, this moment is very near and dear to my heart, but what Harry Houdini would do, I'll just say what Harry Houdini would do. There we okay. go. He would take a bunch of razor blades. He would um, cut through a whole bunch of papers. He would give the razor blades to the audience, you know, the volunteers, and they would feel them. And sure enough, they were razor blades because, you know, back in the early 1900s, we didn't have those Mach 5s. It was just the one singular razor blade. Right. And he would hand them. You would make sure it was a real razor blade and he would put it on his tongue and he would swallow it. And he would swallow 30, 40 razor blades. And then he would take rope and then he would pull out all of these razor blades Mm. out of out of his mouth which it was you know it was just fun it was a trick it was a gimmick it was an illusion right and so with that in mind that's when i was like what would be a really cool way of showing like a purge of something mm. and so that's that's like the ideation behind that the the way you implement it in the film is truly extraordinary um and and it's all done in like in a single take right mm-hmm. like it's all mm-hmm. one shot yeah it's yeah. really really unbelievable the way that it pays and and like just for me personally like it it truly is like this incredible like emotional catharsis whenever it happens like it's and it's um it's just it's a perfect metaphor the way that you implement it i i love that scene it's inc- it's really extraordinary 
Yeah. So since we are an hour into this, uh, let's go ahead and throw up a huge spoiler warning so that I can ask about this and and give some of my analysis. So spoilers, spoilers. If you've been listening up to this point and questioning what actually uh, before we got dive into that, let's say where potentially they'll be able to see this film in case this is where some people stop uh, the episode. So if you've not yet seen Breathing Happy. Uh, we were about to dive into some of the stuff at the end. We're going to get into some uh, major spoilers. So Shane uh, and and Emily, can you give any information about where this is going to be playing? You know, future film fest is, uh, is there distribution for it yet? Any of the, um, any of the promotional stuff that you can say again, for anyone who does not want to stick around for the spoiler and we'll go through uh, a reminder at the end of where people can find you. But just in case, someone stops the episode after this. Well, uh, what, what do you want to make sure that people know about where to find breathing happy? Sure. So um, do, do I say the date in which we're recording this? Does that help? Uh, yeah, we're, we were recording this on July 7th. I yeah. don't know July how 7th. soon it's um, going to come out uh, in, in like the, next the week, coming probably. week or so. There's going to be an announcement where we're going to have our in-person theatrical premiere. Um, we can't say where yet, but it is going to be a film festival. Okay. So, um, and the, I don't even think I can say when the film festival takes place. Cause it might give it away. I don't know. Very all cryptic. Follow the Instagram. Yeah. Follow our Instagram, <laughs> yeah. um, right. The breathing happy page. Um, uh, the breathing happy film, breathing happy film. The, um, and we just gave a bunch of, we don't know if we can yeah, tell you. We don't know if we're going to die. Yeah, yeah. We're hoarding. <laughs> this is why Emily is here. We're really keeping I'm it cryptic tonight. Stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's going to be at a film festival uh, very soon for in-person. Um, and we are in active negotiations with distribution. Um, so Excellent. hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll be able to make some fun announcements, which I'll let you gentlemen know. And then we can circle back around. Awesome. We'll, yeah. we'll have you back and we'll do this all again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, can, <laughs> we should do like a, let's talk about Kevin podcast or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just, and just be sad the whole time. That sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be doing some, uh, uh, some Stephen King in the coming months. If, uh, and uh, I believe you have some <laughs> little bit of a connection to Stephen King. Yeah. I was in, I was in Dr. Sleep and I, we I, have we, the spoons from the set. We have the spoons Ooh. from Doctor Sleep. I stole them. Uh, nice. They gave me all the spoons. Um, <laughs> this, yeah, this this story would for sure need to be for a whole other podcast because it's like twenty minutes long. The whole like audition process and me just like terrified. <laughs> oh, that's like, also another fun Easter egg. Oh, so Mike Flanagan, who directed Doctor Sleep, um, I hit him up and asked if he would. Oh, that's right. A character in Breathing Happy, and so. When I am sitting on the couch with the dog, like eight minutes into the movie, Mike Flanagan is the voice going, uh, so it looks like they won't be home alone this Christmas. <laughs> all the, dads, the kids go, daddy, daddy! <laughs> I'm home kids. And he goes, fly with speed, fast airlines and go higher than ever before. So that's Mike Flanagan. The- and nice. uh, he's never been asked to do anything like that before. So he was like, very excited he was like he was like all excited and flattered and like look it, it took forever because he's famous as shit and constantly oh, doing a million different things so anytime i would text him be like hey we're like almost done with sound design he'd just be like oh my god i'm the worst i'm so sorry i'm like no go see you're not online. and he's like i'll go in the closet right now <laughs> but i i there there are not a a high enough volume of superfluous adjectives that I could bestow upon Mike Flanagan to articulate how cool 
kind, incredibly gracious and <laughs> awesome that guy was and the whole experience. The, the 32nd version of, of me on Dr. Sleep is I go, I film my thing. He made me feel so comfortable and great. And we were done by like 1 p.m. and lunch was at 2. And he goes, hey, go change into street clothes. But if anybody tries to tell you to leave, don't. Come back, hang out in Video Village for the rest of the day. And if we're bored, just do card tricks for us. (laughs) So he like threw an arm around me. And there was a moment where it was just like me, Mike Flanagan, Trevor Macy, who's producing the film, his DIT, and Ewan McGregor. And we're just like sitting there in Video Village. And I'm like, I shouldn't be. That's amazing. (laughs) I shouldn't. But I'm very happy I can do card tricks because sometimes, yeah, that's the illusion. Sometimes he'd be like, hey, go to, go to my sound guy and do a card trick for him. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like I can puppy. so like, do that. Yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> happy to do it. No, oh, man. Uh, well, so Eric, awesome. I think that we have just found, obviously, the perfect movie for uh, Shannon and Emily to join us on. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Shining remake. I would obviously. love it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. man. I'm I'm the I am the biggest fucking Flana fan of all, like I'm so I'm all in on everything that Mike Flanagan does. Uh, I adore uh, his Eric, stuff. I'm also positive that you didn't hear the end of that. Of they need to join us for the Shining remake. To discuss yeah. that. Shining remake. What are you yeah. Oh, the mini series. Yes. Oh, mm, I've never seen that. <laughs> I told you I'm just going to get you to Nathan's- watch all of the Stephen King miniseries. Yeah, Nathan is trying really hard to get me to watch all of the like all of the '90s Stephen King miniseries, like Rose uh, particularly Red, the it, Langoliers, the Langoliers. They did Timekeepers of Eternity at Chat Film Fest, and I was like, I can't believe this exists. Mo- uh, Morehead and I became best friends over the Dark Tower series. Oh God, I love the Dark Tower series. I'm, we were, I'm we were a, the yeah, dude. We were the two. Amazing. We were the only two 15 year olds in Palm Harbor, Florida, who even knew what the Dark Tower series uh, was. And he was reading Wolves of the Kala. And I was like, oh, that's the next book. And he's like, what the hell? You you know what I'm doing? Uh-huh. I was like, hell yeah, I do. And we like bonded. That's awesome. I'm a yeah. huge fan of the Dark Tower series and All Stephen right, King in general. But so, yeah, anyway, mm, getting off track. Right. Anyway. So, so back to Breathing Happy and spoilers, major spoilers. So the ending of this movie and, and if you don't want to answer things, if you don't it, like, if you want to leave it ambiguous, super cool because, you know, mm-hmm. I love the ambiguity and I, I think that that brings so much more weight to the film because, uh, again, for me, at least it left me questioning what's happening and not in a, what is really happening. Cause again, we already covered that. It doesn't matter what's really happening. It matters, uh, the, the character's experience. And I, that's one of the things that I loved about the ambiguity of the end is all right. When I was watching it, and uh and and he started taking all when you started taking all of the pills and it's like all right that's it i'm i'm done i'm resolved like i'm quitting but i'm quitting life like it seemed like it was a suicide attempt it was like all right that's it i'm just going to od i can't handle the struggle anymore so i'm just going to end it all by taking everything and you know when you talked about it being a purge that also makes a lot of sense of like, this is such a part of who I am that the only way that I can get it out of my system is to literally get it out of my system. So, you know, I, I have to, because it is in that sort of like dream state, I can't just pour them down the sink. I have to do something that's a bit more stylized. So I have to literally get it out of my system. But because of like that happiness and the resolve, like it, it almost seemed like the resolve was I know that I am fucking over everyone's life and the only answer is to OD. But 
but it never comes across as like that's what's happening and and it's so weird because it's like i i feel so sad because i i think is that what's happening is that seriously what this movie is doing is this movie seriously mm-hmm. ending with an od holy shit i mean it fits thematically and it seems like something that this character would do but like that just why is he happy about it but then when you started pulling them out it's like okay he's not unless this is like that dream within a dream where he's not pulling out the pills he's pull- I, ah it was so ambiguous and and again i was so heartbroken by the end of this that i didn't know how to feel but i know that i felt something if you don't want to say what exactly was going on again makes perfect sense mm-hmm. at least what was the emotion that you were trying to evoke from the audience in that scene because i feel like that at least still leaves the ambiguity of uh, what is really happening and whether he is ODing or if he is purging himself to finally get clean. But, but yeah, what's, what's the, what's the emotion that you're trying to pull out of people before, before I dive in, do you mind if I ask Eric what his interpretation was? Please do. Uh, it's the second, the second one for me, like it feels to me like it is this kind of like, like, like you said, like this kind of stylized version of like, this is, the moment where you know kind of like what we talked about like uh whenever you talk about people who have you know uh become sober uh you know everybody has this very different kind of story for what happens you know there's no catch-all there's no trick to doing this it's just it's different for everybody and for me this was just like a perfect kind of metaphorical way of getting to that it's like we don't know exactly what it was necessarily that caused him to hit rock bottom and get over this. But it does feel to me like this is the moment where it's like, I've been taking these pills for so long and I'm finally getting over it. And, um, and I, I like the, the emotional roller coaster that you go through in that moment, because it feels like kind of a mini addiction story where it's like, I'm going to take all of these pills and it feels in that moment, like it's going to, you know, that, the, that you are overdosing or something. And then whenever you, swallow the dental floss and pull it out then it feels it that to me is like that kind of ultimate catharsis is like you finally conquered this addiction in some way uh but it's not quite that clean you know it's right. like yeah. this is always something that i'm going to have hanging around my neck in some way but but it does feel like a hopeful ending to me let, let, let me say one more thing uh shane before you give your answer yeah yeah yeah. what was it the mom that calls during that scene like there, there was a phone call that he ignores yep. during that it scene, was, right? It was Brianna, the the sister played by Brittany Escalante. So the my my Cuban sister, she was the one that calls immediately after I take all the pills. Right, and, and if I remember, she says, "Hey, I saw that you called. Um, all right, I'm gonna cut the bullshit. There's still a lot of anger here, but." I like I saw that you made it and I got to give credit where credit's mm-hmm. due. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. To be mm-hmm. honest, I didn't think that you would do it. Um, oh, hey, mom and Lily want to say hi. No, it's a voicemail. No, he and didn't, then it's no, that typical answer. family thing like, of like everything's muddled in the back. And yeah. the mom yeah. is like, how are you on the phone? She's like, no, it's a voice. And like, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Just and then the phone cuts out. Right. So that phone call for me, at least was part of the and and I'm torn on it because I really don't know which one I think it should be or which one it is. But in the moment watching it, the phone call is what pushed it over the edge from just like, oh, here's a weird stylized thing to, oh, no, this is an OD. 
and like the uh, glad that you finally did it could very easily be read as glad that you were finally able to stay sober or it could also very easily be read since it is in more of this absurd mind state of all right you can you finally <laughs> pulled the trigger you finally are ridding us of the the pain in the ass that you are you're finally doing it and so like the the, the, the Again, the script is great. Everything about this movie is amazing. Well, what's and being circle said? back to Brianna in the um the the scene with you and Tristan played by Caitlin Nacon, her going, I hope you OD. Mm-hmm. I hope you're ODing right now. Do us all a fucking favor. Mm-hmm. So right. that could be like everything, you know. <clears throat> yeah. God, how have we not talked about Caitlin Nacon this whole time? Because who is she really? Who, who really is she? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just just a my... giant walking dead star who right. has all of her fans that DM us every Qu- quick, quick, us- quick moment. I've known Caitlin since she was 13, 14 years old. Uh, she, we do this thing called Camp Hollywood where kids that are aspiring actors come and we write a story for them and we film them. And um, she she joined last moment, like the day before we were going to film. And it was actually an argument between myself and John DeQuino. We were like, we can't play by the dad, <laughs> play by the dad. We're like, we can't. There's no time to write a role for her. So she was the girl that was so emotionally tormented that she didn't even talk. Really, there was like one scene of her on the phone mm-hmm. but, but she like does everything quiet and brooding and has these tears in this short film and stuff like that and then six months later the walking dead was like we're looking for a girl who doesn't talk because her parents were killed but she's quiet and brooding and has all these tears and stuff like that <laughs> and they sent over the tape and of course since she's profoundly talented she booked it and then 80 episodes of walking dead later she's now a celebrity and nice. it's mm-hmm. really cool I just yeah. want to also point out that we're talking about the most emotional part of the movie and you just keep adding because I keep deflecting I and this is the anxiety <laughs> and this is the editing in the film. Yeah. So everything just is a mishmash bullshit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Everything yeah, is as, with, okay. I have, as yeah. someone with ADHD, I'm fully, I'm fully on so board. So it's just with, constantly with like, bring it, back, yeah. bring, right? it bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. Y'all have listened to the podcast before, right? This is totally on brand. We're an hour into this. I just wanted to point that out. That it, was, this. it was just just uh all the side <laughs> side stories and that's when you watch the film you're like ah yeah. that's what that is so i have i have two answers the first answer is um can you guys keep a secret i mean if you want this to not go on the podcast i can uh, <laughs> I, I can cut this out it, but it, it can be up to you it can be an edit or something okay so but like can you guys keep a secret uh, uh, yes we can yeah, and also right. for real so can i that's my <laughs> favorite dad joke in the world to say that <laughs> um okay i i am going to hold my hmm. cards close and not give literal this is like literally clearly what happened mm. however the emotion that i wanted people to feel at the end was catharsis yeah, I wanted people to feel like they could to, to bastardize the metaphor. I wanted people to feel like they could yeah. just like breathe. <laughs> you wanted get them that, to breathe happy that, at the end to breathe. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, and I did want it to be a happy ending. It was important for me that it was a happy ending. Um, I will I will pose I'll leave, I'll leave you guys with a couple breadcrumbs. So not, not answers, but breadcrumbs. Um, what is the very last line that the father says in the movie? 
I don't remember. It's been like a week since I've watched this, I'm, and yeah, I barely remember. slept since then. <laughs> Remind me, yeah, I watched like twenty movies at Chat Film Fest, so they all bleed together. So yeah. So the last thing the father says when they're, he goes, they're doing back, the dishes. They're doing dishes, and, yeah. And he says, "Thanks for cleaning up." Yeah. Okay. Which could be interpreted mm-hmm. as the kid just does the Thanks. dishes, sure. or dad is reaching down and is thinking the metaphorical mm. version of the right yeah, that's that's kind of what i was thinking that that little yeah. epilogue there could be read a few yep. different ways yeah um, um and also the fact that um owen who who plays younger me another little fun breadcrumb is that he physically manipulates the camera um the the little home video camera right because to me like when you guys were talking about what's the biggest fear you know that you have in life my biggest fear is growing old and not mattering Mm. like like and it's it's uh aaron moorhead and justin benson and i have spoken about this many times where there is there is a story um there's a whole generation of of japanese people who like are 90 years old and they don't have any family and there's there's a service there is a company where they just come check on you every week and one week they're going to show up and you're right. going to be dead and their job is just to clear out all of your shit mm-hmm. and and make sure that your money is taken care of and that it goes to wherever like because there's nobody to to help them there's no mm-hmm. you, you know mm-hmm. what i mean and so the idea that you could you know like what you were saying nathan is like if what if you made one mistake yeah that started this snowball that you could no longer control you know the snowball turns into an avalanche what what if you could go back there and just correct that one thing Mm -hmm. would it literally alter the course of your entirety perhaps well and with that that's one of the reasons that the ending of the movie again was a very happy cathartic ending I still have questions over whether or not he's alive because, Uh because everything was happening. So stylized because uh, Mm -hmm. so much of what was happening wasn't really happening, but the experience of what was happening, you know, it is possible. And I should also mention, I over over analyze the shit out of movies. So, (laughs) but but I'm I'm so thankful that you guys have because, because I overanalyzed the whole process of making the thing but also Mm -hmm. we had a conversation with somebody last week who just dealt with a suicide and so it was interesting because they they were like oh he for sure killed himself yeah and me like everybody has been different it's kind of almost like a choose your own adventure game Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the end like yeah you've just been affected by suicide you're gonna see suicide if you're affected by somebody that you saw has gotten like sober and clean you're gonna see that way so it's kind of open yeah, to your own interpretation yeah we've had conversations with people that are like he assuredly is dead and, and here are the 50 reasons that support my argument <laughs> and they do support it and so they do like, yeah. yeah okay well it's and, really interesting because i don't even think i really even considered that at all well see like, here's here's why i think that he's dead but not in a bad way because the entire movie is it, it was almost like okay the entire movie is his life flashing before his eyes not because of an od 
but maybe like a shock to the system. You know, maybe because of years and years and years of drug abuse, maybe his body just gave out. I don't necessarily think that, uh, um, what was your character's name again? Dylan, is that right? Dylan. Yeah. yeah, so I don't necessarily Dylan. think that Dylan was <laughs> Dylan the villain. I don't necessarily think that Dylan was trying to commit suicide. I don't think that that's what was happening. But I do think that it's possible that the entire scene was his life is just at an end and trying to reconcile what has happened, how has he experienced it, how have other people experienced him, and then getting to the end the the uh you know taking the pills and purging them back out was the metaphorical this was such a huge part of who i was thankfully i was able to get clean before the end and because Mm -hmm. of getting clean and because of all this other stuff able to to sort of like go back and focus on the good so the that last scene Mm -hmm. of turning the camera and uh, doing the dishes with his dad to me that almost played more as a because he died not from an od but just his life stopped it was almost like a this is your reward of you are now able to live back mm-hmm. out the good parts of your life without mm-hmm. fucking up and again like i i'm i'm so glad that it's ambiguous and i'm so glad that you do not say he's alive or he's dead or he od'd or he got clean mm-hmm. so glad because i think that that would cheapen the movie with as stylized yeah. as it is with as many issues yeah, as you bring absolutely. up with as much choice of here's a uh, you know the the shiny door or the um the scraggly door the um the the red bag or the green bag with all of these things that you bring up about choice if you gave a, de- a definitive answer i feel like that cheapens so much of what was going on even though you do also have the it doesn't matter what you choose it's already predetermined yeah i, I, I just feel like that amb- ambiguity makes it a much stronger much more cohesive film also very quick side note because i don't think that this is as relevant but you know with the over analysis uh i was thinking with the red and green someone who is colorblind they wouldn't have a choice because they're the exact same thing uh so yeah. you know, an- another level of the which one are you choosing it doesn't matter which one you choose they're the same thing and for some people the way that they perceive the world it literally wouldn't make a difference because it's the exact same so yeah i, I love that the film is ambiguous i think that he's dead at the end but i think that in a good way not in an OD way mm. and the missing the call at the end was sort of like the, the, uh, the, the representation of his family forgiving him. And because it's not taking place in the, I don't think that that last scene was necessarily what was really happening, but, but yeah, all of those mm. things kind of bringing in the closure of, uh, of all of his experiences. That was just yeah, my take. Man, Emily, Emily, that tunnel at the end, sure could be perceived as ascending to heaven or mm. a, a rebirth through the womb. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it is, it, it no, but it's a choose your own adventure game. Like one week it might be death. One week yeah. it might be rebirth. Like who knows there, there, yeah, there is a definitive answer, but I will not uh, say it on a public forum, but there sure. is a definitive answer as to whether or not like, like in the film, he is assuredly deceased or, moves on and lives a full life and there are there are clues that will guide you to clarity mm. interesting yeah it's yeah. i really want to rewatch it too like yeah. it's the kind of movie yeah. that like when you when you watch it the first time it's just like this kind of full-on assault on the senses and it, that's a great way to put it yeah. an assault on the senses uh-huh. i i also being that i was there like i was i've been with shane since like the beginning like we've been reading the script when he did mm. the real life 
was there for every every single moment of the like shooting process and even watching the film the second time after having all this knowledge i'm like oh shit yeah. <laughs> like hot little yeah. things and <laughs> i i do think it's a movie that you have to see twice because of the assault on the senses mm-hmm. it's like you can't catch everything at once and right yeah it takes a, it takes a bit to get your bearings with it too because mm-hmm. it is so you know like it is whenever you first start off, it kind of takes a minute to really like acclimate to the structure and the style of it. Um, but yeah, I love, I, I had uh, posted in the chat film fest discord, something about how this film had wrecked me. Um, and <laughs> yeah. uh, there was, and, and what's, what's amazing about it too, is I think that the moment that truly gets me and I, whether, you know, whether he dies at the end or not, I think is, almost irrelevant to a certain extent because I think yep. the motion, the emotions still hit so hard. And for me, it's like you get that big catharsis with the scene with the pills. And then uh, the moment that actually like truly like really hit me in the feels was whenever he's uh, <clears throat> whenever he sees his dad, you get just like this shot of his dad putting his hand on his shoulder. And for me, like the, just that one shot. And, and, you know, I think part of it too is because like I, I lost my mother at a young age like she was 42 when she passed away and she also kind of dealt with like, she, she was bipolar and uh, had depression. And, you know, when I was younger, she actually went through a situation where she like took a bottle of pills and almost immediately was just like, I've made a mistake Mm -hmm. Uh, and Mm -hmm. went and got her stomach pumped and all this stuff. And that was, you know, she had to deal with repercussions from that her entire life. And so like kind of just seeing all of these different elements in this film, that like connected with me so much, just like to see that hand on the shoulder at the end was just like truly a beautiful touching moment. And I think it's just a perfect way to end the film uh, in a way that again, regardless of whether or not, you know, he died or not, it's, it's a, it does, it is a happy ending. Yeah. Well, and uh, in a much more trivial piece of information, the ending also reminded me of uh, another one of my all time favorite Christmas movies, Krampus, where the family is <laughs> obviously uh, stuck and dead, so you know, actually, you you cracked the code. We're uh, we're actually in a snow globe <laughs> at the end of, of the movie. It's that's yep, why that's, that's why there's the static from the TV. Exactly, the snow. exactly. Um, yeah. Um, yeah thank you, thank you for on. saying that, Eric, about um, the hands because the, yeah, it's it's those it's those little things, you know. Like, yeah. yeah, to me, it's a little thing. I'm sorry you lost your mom so early, man. That's that, that like broke my heart. Here oh, no, it's that. yeah, it's uh, it's okay. I mean, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. I think, I mean, she struggled so much in her life that I do feel like, even though she passed away at a pretty young age, I, I do feel like she's maybe better off for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I think that this, this, uh, this movie was so beautifully t- and t- beautiful and touching. And, and again, you, you focus in on so many of those, those little moments, you know, there, there are, I mean, the, you know, we're talking about a movie where you're having an argument with doors for, for a good chunk of it. And there is yeah. all this absurd <laughs> stuff in it, but at the end of the day, it is, uh, it is this, this film that's just about like connecting with one another and empathy and uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just love all the little moments. Well, I I for sure am a masochist because I will sometimes just only watch the last 
10 minutes of the film and then cry. So uh-huh. <laughs> I like I, I said this in the Discord chat. I said breathing happy is like opening old wounds, pouring TLC in it, and then sewing it back up. And like everyone has their good <laughs> cry. And yeah. like, okay, like it kind of like somebody said, like I I uh I'm gonna go call my kids now before I watch the next movie. And it's <laughs> yeah. like mm. it's it does give you that kind of sense of yeah shit like life well i mean that's uh, that's another reason why editing it was so fucking hard like yeah you know how like i would just come in and he'd be have not crying because of the anger towards editing but now he's crying because he just was editing the dad scene over and over yeah right yeah and like the different versions of it like you know how like you get in a fight with somebody you love on tuesday and you're like it's fucking friday why am i still bummed it's like right yeah Someone still that like there there would be times where like I would be editing this scene or that scene and I'm like Christ Almighty I need to pop some more Lexapro and like go to the gym like God I'm just a <laughs> bum I'm like so upset uh-huh. you know so that's that's why I'm I'm being genuine when I say I'm so thankful when like these little moments in the edit are sticking out and that people enjoy it or that like honestly selfishly the best compliment i can receive like if people go your performance was shit the directing was awful i hated the writing but man the editing was really good because i'm not an editor Mm. i don't don't know what i'm doing i like i edit self-tapes and demo reels you know what i mean like i've done short films and stuff like that but i've never edited a feature if i had if i had the money i would have happily punted the hard drives (laughs) to somebody and been like please don't make me watch this again like but (laughs) You know, at the same time, it's like in a weird way, you know, yeah, it's like my baby, maybe when I'm 70, you know, there'll be this thing of like, oh, that's the gauntlet that you had to go through in order to come Mm -hmm. out on the other side. You had to cry gallons of tears, cry (laughs) gallons of tears. Yeah. And God bless you, too. Like, I am the kind of person I don't like looking at myself. I don't know how I know depending on the person. Sometimes as an actor, people enjoy looking at themselves on screen. I can't stand it. And I can't imagine, like, I don't listen to this podcast. I've I've joked with Nathan all the time. Like, (laughs) yeah, I think we have a good podcast. I don't know. I don't listen to it Yeah, because I can't stand listening to the sound of my voice. Doesn't even listen while we're recording. So like the the thought of like having to not only edit this movie in this way and put all that time, but also having to look at yourself the whole time. And critique yourself. Critique. Yeah. and at the next point, movie like, we do, it's it's just going to be fun. We already know the next movie we're going to do. We're like, it's just going to be fun because I can't mm-hmm. do can't this thing again. I could I could maybe come back to it. Well, for this movie is number also three more of like a therapy session. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's again, open those wounds, old wounds back up, pour some TLC in it. So back up and be on your merry way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I mentioned this towards the beginning, but because the tone is balanced so well it does have all of that very raw heartbreaking emotion but a ton of humor like i, I was laughing throughout this movie as oh i was God, on the verge of crying about- we've we've we barely touched on the humor but and i forget if i mentioned this before the episode during the episode guy this one i don't remember but it never feels like you're making jokes at the expense of addiction it never feels like you're yeah. breaking tone all yeah. of the humor feels like a very genuine defense mechanism or a very genuine, I have to find some light in, in all of this that's going on. Like the 911 call. The nine, that's what I thought. <laughs> it say. was the fucking hilarious. It didn't mean to be so Amazing. politically accurate in this climate, but then it <laughs> kind of worked out. 
(laughs) It was hilarious, but it's also like, yeah, like you're going through a very traumatic thing in that moment and, and they're just being dicks. And it's just like, all right, (laughs) this is funny and relevant, but it's, it's not, it's not like it's shifting tone. It's not like it's serious, serious, serious. Hey, time for a joke. It's serious, serious, serious. I'm going to make a joke. What's wrong with you? Why did you make a joke? Uh, Which, you know, the bringing in some of those little moments, that's also very much emphasized with the uh, knock knock. Who's there interrupting turtle? First off, <laughs> great joke. Which, okay, can, yeah, yeah, okay. So we we got we got to talk about these two moments. We're we're fine with time, by the way. This is great. For us. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna okay. say, if you need to cut things Good. short, we can just. We're like, in, you're, you're the uh, ones with kids. Um, we asleep. only have a dog, and she's been sleeping this. Yeah, time. I, I want you to talk about the Augie turtle moment because. It's that's my favorite moment in the entire movie. So that's movie. all so funny. improv. So Augie, we love Augie. She's absolutely amazing. And they were improvising on the side of the pool. Well, like, I don't know if Augie, I forgot my line or she forgot her. She like, forgot hers. Also, like, if you want bloopers, have Augie Duke in your film. Because I'm just going to cut a blooper reel of Augie. I don't think we got a single clean thing of Augie. But it the works whole perfectly movie, it works because, so perfect. like, also, she's kind of the hot mess, like, yeah. sister that did drugs. And I've been sober for six months or whatever she yeah. says. And it's like a giant badge of honor she wears. Mm. Um, but she didn't know how to do knock knock jokes. Yeah. Like she genuinely, that was her. That she was like, why did that turn? And they're oh like, no, no. So when you hear me go, no, 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 you're supposed to say, who's there? And she's like, who's this? Knock knock who? And I'm like very slowly, she's like, oh my God, what are you doing? She was what like, I thought you were going to kiss me or something. Like, you're like, you're playing my fucking sister. She's like, I didn't know what you were doing. And I was like, oh I've, my God, I that's tried amazing. to cut that scene 80 <laughs> times and anytime i cut it i watch it on the movie i'm like i have to put the fucking turtle line back in i can't not have this movie not the have the interrupting turtle joke because <laughs> it's such a it's a slice of life of uh there are two fuck-ups that two are fuck outside ups, two siblings. one of them is high the other one isn't but she usually is so mm, she's kind of it. so she gets it she's the one that's more empathetic but they're having this brother sister moment of like what the fuck why are like (laughs) and the other thing is like when june and you have that moment in the kitchen and she's having fun with you but the whole time she knows you're high but she's actually getting to you're actually emitting joy yeah and not anger and it's like i know you're high but i it's hard to be mad because you're not doing anything bad right now but Mm -hmm. i know you're on something that's why you're so Um, joyful and easy to talk to but so the 911 call (laughs) Our, our mutual friend jeremy um jeremy harlan jeremy harlan he's he's london right uh in in that scene and then jim o'hare who i you you want to talk about another just like gem of a human everybody calls jim o'hare the nicest asshole they've never met <laughs> but but like he's not an asshole at all like we work at charity events together he's just genuinely the kindest most fun person to hang out with like one of those people where like you hang out with them and your face is just, I just have this big, awesome smile because he just like loves to give you shit back and forth and stuff like that. Um, so, so with that scene, that scene was just never working for the mm. longest time because, you know, it was just me alone in Florida just being like, uh-huh. Wait, what? No. What is, cause we, we knew what the scene know. was. We knew, but like, we didn't know what they would. We also knew there was going to be. Imp- yeah. I knew that like, lines. I go to call nine one one. 
and two people answer and they're arguing, which like in its basest form was the addict is trying to find an answer and just keeps getting fucked around. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Which, Which is what happens to like the sober members of the family are like, why can't you get clean? And they just get messed around the whole time. Right. So that's why, like, that's the purpose of the golden door and all the other stuff. It's just, you never get the straight answer that you want. Mm -hmm. So with the 911 scene, there's a version of it. That's quick, clean. They don't talk shit to me like in and out. They just kind of have an argument with each other. And my next door neighbor, Vicky, who uh, has been clean. What is it like over a decade or something like that? Right. She was my best resource because we moved here to Austin, Texas over a year ago and we become great friends with our neighbor. And so I would show her scenes because I'm like, you don't even know me or anything about me. So can you watch this as a, as a recovering (laughs) addict? And she's a sponsor Mm -hmm. for people. And she watched a very early cut of the movie, like two and a half hours long. And she goes, you know, I like your movie, but you don't have any part of your movie where somebody goes, you need to shut the fuck up and get (laughs) your shit together. She's like, I think you need that. Like nobody says, get your shit together. So I called up Jim O'Hare and I go, is there any way that we can redo the the voiceover thing that you did and he was like why does it not work like did i not do whatever and like i know he's busy he's like doing a million other shows and stuff Mm. and i go no the the problem is we need to redo it and i need you to call me a pussy and a piece of shit and if you can improvise that like you have a uti just like nonsense and stuff like that and he was like oh if i get to call you a piece of shit pussy i will happily (laughs) redo this this is great so like we just did like a simple zoom call and they had microphones and we Mm. just I told him to improv for 20 minutes and I took the best parts of it. And then Jeremy getting to be like this hype man of like, this is the greatest day of my life. So yeah. like, <laughs> they get to make fun of me. And then, and then the thing that was like the chef's kiss that finally put it together is my friend Landon Ashworth. who <laughs> I think he's the funniest man on the planet. And he's this incredible musician plays any song on drums and piano that you would ever want. And I said, can you, can you just like write me a little jingle? And, and what I had written was you're on hold with 911. Hopefully you're not getting stabbed by someone you're on hold with. And that's it. Cuts out four seconds. We get into the scene and he sends me back this. You've reached the police department, dude, a fair amount of rape, incest, murder, like an all this, like this fucking hilarious so riff. Jingle. And then he is like, hello, hello, hello. And I'm like, dude, you like wrote a song and all this awesome stuff. He's like, yeah, I don't know how to half-ass things. So that's just that's another awesome. person in the laundry list of everyone on this cast that like it's criminal that they're not all on tv shows like Mm -hmm. like truly genuinely if anyone is listening to this like my wish is that a year from now when we're doing this doctor sleep version of it that we go oh landon is on this (laughs) show and little owen mia and evie are all kid stars Mm -hmm. on whatever shows they're on and augie is now a series rag on mayans you know like everyone across the board like that's what i want that is my wish that is my dream that Mm -hmm. is my hope yeah yeah same absolutely yeah (laughs) i i think the jingle is absolutely hysterical but it also i just love the the kind of like banal bureaucracy of it where and it also kind of fits like especially like even even if you're an addict and you are trying to get help like the idea of like constantly running into these roadblocks is is so great i also love i think what really ties it together for me is the fact that the two nine one one operators start like 
uh, like encouraging each other. He's like, "Oh, you're in great hands with with so and so." He's like, "Oh, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna help you so hard. Like it's gonna be so good." And it's so funny to me the way that they're just like hyping each other up at, while also like doing nothing for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, he's he's the the best. he taught me everything I know about how to help people. <laughs> you also understand that d- doesn't it bleep out some of the swear words too, right? Yeah, yo, I did, yeah. yeah, I did that on purpose. I was like, I think it'll be funny to just like bleep out some of the words in this movie right. 10 million fucks that's so funny and of course as our podcast as we were talking about earlier we used to bleep out our fucks uh and yeah. just because it's so funny to hit like bleeps are funny yeah, <laughs> but yeah. also yeah. because the editing Bravo. i'm tired of that so yes, of course, yeah of course <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, love it. Well, and it's all those little moments that they're funny on their own, but they all tie in thematically and they give this movie so much more weight, you know, like with the bureaucracy of, you know, just getting the runaround and like, oh man, this person's really going to help you. This is finally going to be the person that gets you clean. And it's just another like, oh, well, I mean, we could if the insurance would get approved. Uh, You have one day worth of inpatient states like, oh, fuck you, insurance companies. So like all of these things tying into it, even down to the fact that the dog has a cone around his head and like. It doesn't understand. It just wants to bite at that itch much in the same way that an addict just wants to scratch that itch. And Mm -hmm. the cone, the thing that is trying to help them not get worse is just a, 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 you know, choking them around the neck and they view it as like, why would you do this to me? Why are you taking away my Mm -hmm. freedom? Trying to help you. Fuck you. I just want to bite myself like (laughs) so much about this movie. And, and But, like, none of it feels forced. None of it feels like, well, we really need to emphasize that this dog has an itch that it can't scratch. It's just like, nope, here's this dude that is already having some just shit that he's going through. So, of course, his dog is also having some other issue. And, of course, you're having to, to deal with the collar. And, you know, that, that God, even the scene where, like, you fall asleep and the cone is off of him and you wake yeah. up and it's like oh shit i fell asleep on the job and now my dog is potentially even worse again ties into the mm-hmm. if you fall asleep on your road to recovery sometimes the tiniest things can lead to a much bigger issue all of that stuff i feel like makes this right, movie yeah. absolutely amazing we Thanks, could probably man, keep awesome. going even more <laughs> because that's what we do and this is so far a relatively short episode for us it's very true. But, we go along. <laughs> I also feel like <laughs> at this point, talk about things. yeah, yeah. At, at this point, I feel like this it is our just this be, is our catharsis for ourselves every week. It's like let's just hang out and really shoot the is. shit, talk about movies, something that brings us joy. No, <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. It's awesome. So yeah, I I want to keep talking. There's so much more that I want to talk about, but also at this point, I feel like it might be maybe a bit repetitive or just like really getting down into like oh this other tiny detail. This is also awesome. So for the sake of time and for the sake of making sure that you eventually come back and join us. Uh, and I'd be like, no, we're not joining that three hour podcast again. Let's start wrapping stuff up. Uh, is there anything, Eric, that, uh, that we've not asked that is just really eating away at you that we need to ask before we start closing things out? Uh, no, I think we, I feel like we've covered all of my points. Like I said, I didn't, uh, I just wanted to have a chill hangout vibe, just shoot the shit. Like, I mean, yeah, this is, this is perfect. I love it. <laughs> I'm I'm fully satisfied. Eric gives it five stars. <laughs> exactly. Five stars. This podcast. 
In that case, Shane, Emily, anything that we have not yet addressed that uh, that you want to make sure to to talk about with the movie, and and again, we'll go through some of the where can people find you and uh, all of that stuff in just a second. Mm-hmm. But any other, you know, like driving themes or any other uh, shout outs that you want to give to all of the people that made this movie so mm-hmm. amazing, any of those last pieces that we have not um, already stripped to their core. So I, I know I've touched on, you know, the fact that Aaron Moorhead, Justin Benson and Sarah Bolger. Um, I sure hope I've talked about Sarah Bolger throughout this. I feel like I. He hasn't, but it's OK, because I took Christ. a mental note to make sure you we did take a mental that. note. Well, like, OK, that's again, anxiety, ADHD brain. But like, it's also like, go. how do you like it's a giant fucking list. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of, mm-hmm. People to where you're like, oh shit, I could talk about. Yeah, but no, that's not person. that's not right of me because Sarah, like, I mean, I mean, the mystery doors, the Sarah mystery doors. Mm-hmm. Sarah Bolger. Yeah. I remember when I was like, hey, is there? Because she's she's a serious reg on Mayans, and she's the fiance of Justin Benson, and I was like, oh, this would be so wonderful, and she's from Ireland, and I just loved selfishly i was like how great to have this like irish accent door and she's also <laughs> profoundly talented and i was mm-hmm. very lucky to just you know call in the favor um and she was so giddy and like oh my god yes this is gonna be so much fun this is great and like it's like yep that's the door <laughs> i think i think that like sarah had filmed until x amount until the am the night before and aaron and justin had just come back from london where they were doing moon night and mm. I like rented out a VO booth, you know, for like $400 an hour for like three hours. And we like, oh, the, the dude running the booth was was uh, very kind, but frustrated because he like <laughs> he, he he like painstakingly like was all ready with like the beeps and we're going to match the lit. And like I, it, I'm just stupid and didn't articulate it. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, where can you just like hit record? Because we have to do like. We did a whole movie amongst three people in three hours. And there's a lot of arguing and I want them to be able to talk over each other. And he's like, well, I'm not sure if the microphones would really, can you make that be a thing? And he begrudgingly made it happen. (laughs) But um, he's like, there is no organization. But I guess. So I'm, I'm 35 and I started this whole journey of, you know, just wanting to just, absorb and soak everything about acting and this profession and this art form and in front of the camera, behind the camera that, that I could from college all the way to living in London and living in Chicago and then crashing on Moorhead's couch and starting to get some successes here and there, you know, like you get to sneak onto a show in a movie here and there. And um, it was really <laughs> scary to be like, all right, let's try to make this movie. Like, it's really scary. Really fucking scary. Hopefully the movie sells, but the the victory is having made it. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, just, just... And I know that, you know, this is contrite and an oversimplification, but, like, if if anyone out there is just really wanting to make their movie. Like, I think, I think Quentin Tarantino was the one that was like, if you love the hell out of the art form and out of the craft, it will love the hell out of you back, Mm. you know? And that's why, like, I loved the discord chat Mm -hmm. uh, for, for Chattanooga, because even if people weren't like necessarily feeling 
the movie or another movie or whatever, they found a reason to celebrate it. And they found a reason to, to thank the filmmakers or to thank the people because like, now that I know how impossible it is to make a movie, like I could not in good faith, give a movie a negative review ever. Yeah. Like, Christ. You hear that critics. <laughs> you hear that critics. Um, <laughs> Emily, what, what do you. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I'm more of a person that types things. Cause I like whole, I'm an observer and I keep everything in my head. So getting me to speak sometimes I, I just kerfuffle my words, but, I totally um, get that. you <laughs> know, like I'm like, okay, let me just write this all out in a nice narrative later. Uh-huh. Um, I think like you said, the victory was making it and holy shit balls. <laughs> okay. I need to, this is one thing I do have to say. So, if you want to talk about a what the fuck. So Shane and I, we finish the movie. Shane then, um, this is again, one of the, this is like the editing of the film. It's going to be all over the place. So my dad passed away seven years ago and from leukemia and he had a bone marrow transplant. I've been on the bone marrow transplant list, like ready to be like, okay, I'm ready to donate for since he passed. Shane got put on last year and he got a call. I, I, I joined the list Thanksgiving and I got a phone call three weeks later from the, the head of be the match, which is the, the company and through city of hope. And she called me because she said, there's a little eight year old girl who has severe aplastic anemia and she will die without a bone marrow transplant. And the previous six people um, either have like, gotten to the end and it turned out that the match wouldn't work Mm -hmm. or they got to the end and refused the final step, which is having your hips drilled into so they could suck the goop out and, you know, deliver it to the person. But, you know, I know I keep using this word, but to oversimplify the whole process, they said that it should be curative that if she receives this, she'll have a new life. And so we were finishing post, like we were finishing um, filming in California and then it was supposed to be, we closed on our house in Austin. And then the next two days later, you were going to have your bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know where I'm going with this story. Was it the money? Yeah, but this is what I'm talking about. Like if I wrote this down, I would no, I think you were sense. going with the day that the movie premiered was your father's anniversary. Okay. So, uh, the bone marrow transplant happens. No, it doesn't happen. Holy shit. Okay. Follow <laughs> along with me. This is just like breathing happens. All right, we got you. So we finish, we finish filming. We close on our house. We find out our down payment was fraudulent and we actually got hacked we lost twenty thousand dollars oh geez holy shit balls but guess what shane gets to go under anesthesia the next day to donate bone marrow and i have i go and i work on the oscars so shane's happily high um and augie actually picked him up from the hospital because i was yeah. at work yeah <laughs> and then so that whole situation happened so it was just like the best week like yay we closed on our house yay like you're gonna be doing something great for an eight-year-old girl yay we finished the film and then this whole Tur- fuck- turned into like the worst week because you know we spent all the money on the movie and, and we, we had, had just little- enough money left over to like put the down payment on the house and it mm-hmm. got stolen Jeez. so then we had to like 
invent money like like okay i guess cash out the things with the stuff that we had that emily had to pay taxes on you know mm-hmm. um and so it made the process that more terrifying and so like, then shane's having to edit knowing damn well i better fucking make something I better make it good <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but like the crazy thing and this is just i mean with life in general like timing is everything and things always like have a way of showing you that everything's going to be okay. The premiere of the film was the day of the seven year anniversary of my dad passing away. So on Friday, June 24th, that's when he passed away. And so having the movie premiere on a day that's normally very sad Mm -hmm. um, and a movie about addiction, uh, which is what his profession, which is what he was. uh, He was in, addiction and then he went to hospice care so i always make the joke that he was dying to get back to work because he passed away where he Mm. um it's no it's good like we have really (laughs) fucked up dark humor (laughs) (laughs) it's not an oh it's it's so funny but it's like like that's so sad yeah it is but he that's where he he wanted he bought a robe oh yeah 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 so this is totally unrelated but uh he made me go shopping with him at Macy's during a weird sale, knowing he was going into hospice care. And he was like, I just need a white velvet robe. And I was like, dude, it's fucking summer. You're going to be like <laughs> dying of like, we dying. You'll be like burning up. And he was like, yeah, I will cut to <laughs> the day he passed away. Apparently in his thing, he wanted to be cremated in the white velvet robe. And I was like, Oh, that fucker. He got me by saying I'll be burning up. <laughs> um, so yeah it's like dark humor but Uh it's just again if i had this typed out it would be much more poetic she gives me shit for not not having fluid thought process (laughs) okay yeah you're right but i guess we're the same good thing i don't fucking edit your movie would be (laughs) (laughs) they would be like i don't understand any of what just happened in this film Uh but uh, just speaking to all of the things of like shit is gonna fucking happen. Like we said, we made a joke too because you weren't done editing and a tornado hit our house. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> dude! Three weeks before I deliver the movie, a tornado hit our house. And, shit. and we're in the bathroom, and then somebody made a joke of like, "I bet you ran and grabbed the hard drives." And she was like, "I didn't." What I like, no, I grabbed my dog. But like, <laughs> fuck! What if the hard drives? When, oh my like, gosh fucking wizard of oz like oh and god we're like, oh good job on the movie but like it just seems like kind of like dylan everything is gonna get in your way in order for you to yeah, get you to that other going. side you gotta keep you gotta going. trudge through mm. you gotta have some dark fucking humor otherwise yeah. you're fucked in yeah. this yeah. world yep. i mean just in general i don't care what your profession is i don't care if you are a cashier or have or a brain surgeon, like you're going to deal with some shit. And Sometimes have life persevere. gives you a cardboard box and you got a Godzilla that box. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, will, you, will you make that a uh, description of breathing happy as it goes out yes. into the world? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Eric, Eric, I would be honored quote about the movie. Sometimes life gives you a cardboard box and you got a Godzilla. <laughs> <Shit>. Love it. <laughs> uh, it's very perfect. Uh, um, I, well, I feel all- Oh, go ahead, Ian. Ian. I was just going to say, I feel like all of that emotional stuff at the end and all of the, here's everything that we went through in making this movie and all of the joys and the pain and the, why the fuck is life so hard? I feel like all of that comes through the movie. And, and again, 
30 seconds into watching breathing happy i felt how personal this movie was and in talking with the two of you it is abundantly clear that even though it's not necessarily personal in the way that i thought that it was mm-hmm. it is just it, it it is dripping with uh the two of you pouring your heart and soul and everyone else that's not to minimize everyone mm-hmm. else who's involved in it it's just they're not here right now the two of you are yeah, it is they actually are. Hey, bring them in. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> that would be phenomenal. It it is very clear. That I would also movie... feel very bad that they just been sitting here this whole time. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I would think like that's hilarious. The whole time. If you're like, all right, don't worry. It's only only going to be like 30 minutes that you can pop up. It's going to be great. Yeah. They're falling it's like asleep. every few minutes, you guys are turning around like, not now. Not now. Yeah, yeah. Stop. <laughs> I would love that. Very clear that this movie is is dripping with emotion and you've poured yourself into it and it is an amazing movie and and I love it and every single person who is listening to this better fucking catch this movie as soon as they can on film fests or as soon as it is dis- distributed. There's no way that this is not going to be. I've seen plenty of shit movies that have been picked up in distribution. <laughs> So this is better. No, we than, said we wouldn't shit on movies. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not yeah. saying which ones. Right. Yeah, yeah. Speaking uh, of actually, that, uh, that that does lead me to a question. Uh, question. Uh, Jesus Christ, I can't talk either. Right, um, it's the emotions. It's, it's We're getting all just, late. Like kerfuffled. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, how did it feel? You all uh, won the audience award, right? For the film yeah. for Breathing Happy, won the audience yeah. award. How did that feel? Does that feel like one of those kind of like? Did that feel like a great cathartic moment? Like of all the absolutely like, like to winning the audience award is to me a better feeling than winning like best featured as picked by the jury or right. best first time director or best whatever, because, you know, I made this movie. I feel like with every piece of art you want, you want to find your audience. You know mm, what I mean? Right. You want you want to like reach through and make people feel something. That's my my biggest thing when I watch anything. TV, movies, a song, mm. just make me feel something. Mm-hmm. Before I say was it good, was it bad, did I understand it? If I, if I found myself laughing or found myself crying or found myself genuinely surprised, that is a victory. You did something that mm-hmm. elicited an emotional response. So that was one of my penultimate goals. So the fact that, um, you know, everybody that was a part of this kick-ass punk rock little festival felt that that was the movie that kind of reached through the noise and, and affected them to the point where they went, click, we like this one. Um, With so many films to choose from that were so phenomenal too it's just right like, like we watched like 20 of the other ones like just, i mean just like coming to mind like night shift like that like that's like a four thousand dollar movie or something mm-hmm. i yeah. was right? like and you're like yeah i well how did you do that <laughs> the ones you didn't burn i mean anything you with, know like, yeah the ones you didn't burn right like <laughs> like you know freaking just, hell man we could go on we could start a whole other podcast about that but yeah yeah it was it was incredibly humbling and i am i'm i'm very thankful that everybody's absurd amounts of hard work at least in its infancy in one festival you know hit hit the spot and hopefully it gets to reach a wider audience and get a little you know steam going and then we'll make the fun movie and then there's going to be a lot more golden door laughter in this in this next one you know (laughs) yeah 
one last question before we do uh, the the closing socials and all that other stuff. Yeah. So uh, a lot of times we do a beginning, middle, and end where we take you know three completely unrelated movies and try to tie them together in a cohesive story. We're not necessarily going to do that uh, with this, but mm-hmm. somewhat related. If you were to program a, um, like, not necessarily an all-night movie night, but if you were to program three movies playing together, and Breathing Happy has to be one of them. Okay. So you're not, you're not necessarily looking for the same story. You're not necessarily uh, trying to do, you know, exactly what we do with our beginning, middle, and end, where we, um, I, I'm trying to think of a specific example. Um, well, it, it's based off of, uh, um, oh, shit, why am I drawing a blank? On uh, <laughs> that's a the, theme. The, I, I've the like dude, I've like the, somehow just like sucked all of the <clears throat> brain juju out of all of it. <laughs> it's it's getting late. Uh, Tim Burton. So you know it's the um, uh, Frankenweenie and Corpse Bride and Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, like that's all telling the same story, just not in the right yeah, way. Yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So like that's where our, our beginning, middle, and end came from. So not exactly doing that but more of just going with general feel, general tone. If you're doing three movies, one of them has to be Breathing Happy, mm-hmm. and I'll go ahead and do the three that I would pick to okay. give you a little bit of time to, <laughs> to think. Um, if I wanted to start happy to just fucking sad, I would do Dave Made a Maze, Breathing Happy, and The Lighthouse. Ooh. If I wanted to start with fucking weird, to you know what? I'm feeling pretty good. It, I would just flip those. I would start with the lighthouse and then breathing happy, and then end with Dave made a maze. So if if I was to do okay. a uh, yeah a, a movie night, those would be the three that I would pick. I would read the room on where to start and where to end. Eric, what about you? If you were to do three movies again, not necessarily trying to tie the stories together, but mm-hmm. just kind of giving a general feel. What three movies would you, you put know, together? It's interesting that you say this because the first thing that came to mind is you could easily uh, do a mind-bending addiction saga triple feature of movies featuring Shane Brady, which would be like uh, <laughs> Breathing Happy, Synchronic, and Doctor Sleep. Yeah, yeah, uh, yep. That would be my three. In in, in that order? Uh, ooh, with that, well, doc, do you, I guess you would have to end on Doctor Sleep. It's it's a long one. Um, yeah. No, start with the like, long one. Otherwise, you're going to fall asleep, dude. Do no, not I, do not in the night with the longest movie. No, I like the I like that. Doctor Sleep seems like a good late night. I'm feeling loopy. It's not it's not like a slow movie or anything. It's just long. No, no, it's not slow at all. Uh, I would even go director's cut. <laughs> go go extra. Of course you it. would. Um, I probably start with synchronic. I put breathing happy in the middle of that sandwich. Okay. Shane, My, mine would be. Don't breathe. Mm. Right? Where they're all stuck in the house. Mm-hmm. Breathing happy. And then everything everywhere all at once. Ooh, Ooh nice. Oh, That's what I would do. I the, the, the most pretentious, selfish sentence ever. When we walked out of everything everywhere all at once, I went, that is the movie that I would make if I had money and time. Right. Yeah. Like, 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 you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to say that sentence without sounding like I'm trying to steal someone's thunder or something, you know, but I saw that movie and I was like, that is everything to me. Like that is, is the, oh, it is everything everywhere all at once to you. 
evil. Exactly. It, it feels like the kind of thing where it's like you watch a movie and you're like, that feels like a movie that was made specifically for me or, yeah. or like hits all of my buttons yeah. and things mm-hmm. that I love out of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like it was 100%. another one of those. You laugh, you cry. You're, yeah. You're yeah. Just like that, that movie it's a kitchen sink movie is the Dude, way I it's describe a kitchen it. Sink movie yeah. And it did it for me. Okay. So don't breathe, breathing happy. And then everything, oh, everyone wants. So you okay. have to give your, so like I am, ter- I, I I am terrible at being on the spot. <laughs> so, I usually am too. I can't believe I I did okay. You know, like I'm Nathan, like, well, so shit. Like I like every, like I like all those answers. So then I'm like the worst person to go last too, because then I'm like, well, I like curious. Can I guess what yours would be? <laughs> okay, guess. Guess what mine would be, and then I'll say yes. Okay. <laughs> no matter what. I guess that yours would be birdcage, breathing Ooh. happy. And then binging Queer Eye on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly because you gotta you gotta sandwich the gay. You gotta and sandwich the I gay, but also <laughs> you get you get your episodes with the with the ugly cries. Yes, with I Queer do. Eye. You get you get the you get the cathartic. You know, oh they they did it. They made it. Everyone's Bird happy. Cage, you though, know? for sure. Birdcage Bird- is like a movie you could you could throw in throw that into any triple feature, and that's a yeah. winner. You yeah. could Bird Cage is untouchably movie. good. Absolutely. Any movie yeah. ever. And that's, that's I'm just going to I'm going to go with that answer. Um, final answer. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh, I love right, it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to pull the audience on this. And by the audience, I mean the three of you. So <laughs> going with unreliable narrator. Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Mm, nice. Happy. Mm-hmm. And what what would the third movie be? What 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 would what would fit in that sandwich with uh, Baron Munchausen and because I thought Brazil, but that's not so much an uh, unreliable narrator so, as it is so just another Gilliam film, and it's also <laughs> yeah, another yeah. Gilliam film. That's a little too much Gilliam at once. I'm trying to think of good like like you you said defined as like an unreliable narrator right like you can't quite trust what they're saying or or um or even not 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 even necessarily can't trust what they're saying but what they're saying isn't the focus of what's going on so like Baron Munchausen how much that's yeah. really happening I don't care you get to throw in like a Truman Show or something maybe no Another but you know what's like happening control there. over your life yeah. It's not Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, either. I literally was just thinking Jojo Rabbit, take away TTS. Yeah, because it's like the kids' interpretation of what Hitler is, we but that's clearly re-watch. not what Hitler is. Mm. We just rewatched you Jojo know? Rabbit, so and it's hilarious as hell. But you also cry during Jojo Rabbit, and it's and it's the kids' interpretation of oh, you know fuck, what we do yeah, in that's the a good. shadows. What we do in the shadows is great. Oh, I'll add so that good. to my birdcage. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just just add some tech in there. All right, uh, we really should stop things now. This has been an absolute blast. I want to keep talking, but I also want to sleep. So, uh, Shane, Emily, where can people find you? Where can they find more information about Breathing Happy? I know that you already said this a little while ago, but uh, for anyone who stuck around and has, has forgotten at this point, where can they follow you on the socials? Where can they get more information about Breathing Happy? For sure. So the social media account on Instagram for Breathing Happy is Breathing Happy Film. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty simple. Uh, my personal socials are uh, Instagram is Shane Brady Actor. Emily is Zerchinator. Like Terminator. <laughs> but it came from one of my rage fits as a yeah. teen. And so it just stuck. Um, <laughs> Love it. But but any any listeners would make me profoundly happy if they obviously liked shared five-starred you guys subscribed Aww. you know 
celebrate yeah. you guys because that's the whole point you know like no it's like you need you need the cool punk rock platforms and and you know the fun people and to the talk fun to. people and mm. uh you know go go on breathing happy like all of those people and then go on your guys's podcast <laughs> and then find other cool like-minded podcasts and keep the whole the whole thing growing you know exactly. water the seeds absolutely exactly eric where can people water our feeds <laughs> uh, i am on twitter at the chimerican which is t-h-e-c-h-i-m-e-r-i-c-a-n uh i'm also on instagram at chimerican reviews and on letterboxd at eric j-a-y so i feel like we should give at least a little bit of an explanation we typically don't at the end of the episodes uh but since we have guests here this time the reason that eric's socials is the chimerican and the reason that my letterboxd is the gargoyle is years and years and years ago this started out as the gargoyle podcast because it's a gargoyle wearing an argyle sweater because i'm a fucking nerd <laughs> and so when That's eric awesome. joined it was like all right you need some really really dumbass mythical creature and so yeah. you know chimera but like an american and so it's like a chimerican <laughs> and also the eric is in there so yeah yeah chimerican yeah exactly hippogriff type thing yeah you're like a half yeah. lion half american half chimera virus exactly. and of course i'm very inconsistent across my social media <laughs> so i just i just say those are the three heads i have different names for all of my social media platforms for some reason exactly different uh, personalities my fun yeah. magician name is shady brady because when you take shane and brady and squish it together you get shady nice but then you still have brady yeah <laughs> shady brady because it's just fun to say shady brady it is very fun to sure. shady brady. yeah yeah uh, uh yeah so you can follow me slash the podcast on facebook twitter instagram letterboxd at video monster pod and you can follow me personally on letterboxd at the gargoyle that's g-a-r-g-y-l-e because again gargoyle wearing an argyle sweater uh and if you enjoyed this episode be sure to keep coming back we still have a lot more chat film fest coverage and then we're going to be getting into our musicals uh episodes for july and then we've got australian cinema for august and mm -hmm. then stephen king for september october and then korean cinema in november so we have a pretty wide range of <laughs> genres that great yeah so uh we have this new system where very heavily inspired by screen drafts we do a bracket to narrow down the movies that we're going to be discussing each month okay as well <laughs> as to pick the themes that we're going to use for each month mm -hmm. so we get to yell at each other a lot trying to figure out what we're going to talk about yeah and it's a randomized bracketing system so it's yeah. like we just put all the movies into a skull literally like a plastic skull and just pick them at random to and then it's like this versus and, this okay yep, and then we, we kind of vote on it do we weigh in at all? Do we get to vote on what you guys have? Uh, yeah, we we have a survey that is out there to get the audience. So uh, there, there's 16. So uh, it's a bracket of 16, randomly paired. But there are 20 options. So there are 20 uh, movies when we do our typical uh, theme for the month. 20 movies in the skull. And we randomly pull out 16. So four of the ones aren't even going to make it. And then we argue yeah. about which three make it to the final. Um, but five of those picks come from the audience survey. And then five for myself, Eric, and Dan, who unfortunately couldn't be with us tonight. Um, but yeah. Fuck we... him. Who cares about Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Dan. He would have ruined it. 
he, he really because we was. had such clear, concise thought processes this it whole time. So it's very true. That yeah. one other person would have just derailed the 100%. whole clarity train that we had. <laughs> it it would have thrown things totally out of balance. Yeah. Uh, but so, yeah, so five come yeah. from each of that, uh, and and then we argue about them. Uh, one of the things that we are wanting to do is start getting some guests to join us to also be in that argument and also have their votes and then have them come back and actually, you know, do the reviews of the movies that make it to the end. So if that is something that the two of you would be interested in, please do that because well, then maybe I can Stephen finally. King right. Yeah. Well, no, Stephen totally. King's working a little bit different because we've got, uh, we've got guests for pretty much all of those episodes. Uh, so we're trying to in figure Korean out how month. to make that, but, <laughs> but yeah. So Emily has a lot of fun Bon Joon-ho stories. Well, from when she worked at the Oscars. Yes. Ooh. He's fantastic. But that's yeah. to be He seems like the sweetest day. man. Yeah. Angel. Angel yeah. human. Uh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> he, he and Shimo here should do a buddy comedy. Oh, Holy shit. <laughs> I think you just blew our minds. Do you know that I think I can't I literally can't confirm this cuz I don't know if it's true, but there was like a rumor that Jim O'Hare was on the Mandalorian. Because he did a podcast and he was filming something ancillary in like New Mexico or Nevada. And he was doing a podcast with um, Rob Lowe. Good luck getting us right? to ever end this To, to ever leave. No, no, no. And, go for it. Right? And they were, and they were like, Nathan Rob Lowe was like, wait, what are you filming? Jim's like, I can't say, but it's in the desert in Nevada. And like the hive mind was like, they film Mandalorian in Nevada. And he wasn't actually in the Mandalorian at all. But since this podcast said it and the whole internet blew up where they were like, that'd be great. Like, apparently he's like, I don't know. Maybe they do want me to be on the Mandalorian now. Like they're (laughs) talking to my reps or something, but I don't know where I'm like, that's cool. That'd be awesome. Do a podcast and sneak into the star Wars lore because the internet says so like Morbius and the minions suit thing. Man, I would do. I would pretty much do anything to be on the set of one of those shows. Like, I would. I would bring Werner Herzog his coffee or whatever. Like, I don't give a shit. I will do whatever. Like, <laughs> we we could put you in touch with um, Ariel Cooper, who is the wife of another really talented filmmaker buddy of mine, Gustavo Cooper. And Ariel does costume design on Mandalorian. Oh, nice! Actually, I think the- they actually filmed that show in Georgia, which is pretty close to where we're at. I think they film it. That's where all the Marvel and Star Wars shit is. Mm-hmm. And, and all the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. all down there yeah. near Atlanta now. Yep. Well, Eric, you go stalk them. Uh, I'll keep podcasting. Sounds good. Do some recon. So, yeah, keep coming back. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Do as Shane said. And, you know, give, give us all the love. Give us all those five stars. And then, seriously, make sure to check out Breathing Happy as soon as you possibly can. Catch it at Film Fest. Please do. See it. Seriously. Watch it as soon as possible. As soon as it's out on physical medium, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pre-order uh, that right now. Preferably Blu-ray. If it only comes out on DVD, fine. I'm going to go ahead and pre-order that Blu-ray because <laughs> I need it. We'll we'll be sure to send you guys copies. I'll send I'll send you some spoons from Doctor Sleep too. Oh my god! <laughs> I would adore that. Yeah. Uh, did Mike Flanagan touch any of them? He did. He did. Oh god! The props yeah, okay. person ad- no, because the props person handed them to Mike and asked, like, "Do these spoons all work?" And then he handed them to me and said, "Do they work?" <laughs> you were it. the spoon man. On that. <laughs> it was like they work for me. Um, Mike, in, in the vein every of, us one of those never spoons. ending this podcast, I have a one more thirty second story <laughs> when. So we're I'm done with Dr. Sleep. We're we're about to leave. And earlier in the day, I told him how much it meant to me to get to sneak into his movie, you know, even just for two minutes, because my my grandfather, Grandpa George, had 
every single Stephen King book and read them 8 million times. Mm. And he passed away years before I got into Dr. Sleep. And when I told my mom that I booked it, my mom was like, your grandpa George would be inconsolable knowing (laughs) that you got to be like a zit on the neck of the doctor, (laughs) you know, you know what I mean? Uh Like Stephen King universe, like you're there, like you're in it. You get to say you're like a part of that DNA. Yeah. And so I told Mike that, um, that little story at some part. And so I go to leave. He asks me for my phone number. He's like, man, it was a lot of fun. You know, I'd love to go to the magic castle and stuff like that. And then a PA walks up with uh, a full, the, the whole script printed bound. And he grabs a Sharpie. And he says to Grandpa George, "Shine on, Mike Flanagan." And he hands it over. And I'm like, I'm like, thank you, <laughs> like, like trying to, like, you know, that's... be be cool. Oh. But that's the type of dude he is. Like, what other director picks the person that's like the the ancillary magician for two mm. minutes, throws an arm around him, says, "Hang on, on set," and here's a bound script. And thank you so much for being so kind. Like. Come on, man. That's not, that is not normal. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here. Shane, Emily, I appreciate you guys just sharing all of these personal stories with us. This has been an absolute blast. We're so grateful for you all to come and spend any amount of time with us. This is wonderful. Yeah. The the two of you, honestly, standing invite. Anytime you want to come back, just we're let just us gonna know. call you once you're done with this. Once we, you're done recording, we're just gonna be like, "Hey, you guys still want to chat?" <laughs> yeah, for a little while. And then I'll just turn something. the recorder back on, and it'll be yeah, the, right. uh, the after hours episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so so much. Congratulations on turning out just a fucking kick ass movie. Congratulations on winning the Chat Film Fest Audience Award, and I cannot wait to see uh, what else you have um, coming out the pipe. And I just super excited alright I've changed the ending and so I forgot what I'm supposed to say right that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters where we take movies seriously but not ourselves good night everybody cheers